I want to listen. Order 66. I need to listen. You can execute it from iTunes. Order 66. But I never listen. Order 66 podcast. No one is listening. This episode of the Order 66 podcast brought to you by the generous donations of Kevin Malone, Donald Weller, B. Witzel, Andy Bethel, Darren Hampton, Trevor Hill, and William Sullivan, as well as lots of viewers and listeners like you. Broadcast live, you're listening to the Order 66 podcast. Brought to you by Gamer Nation Studios, D20 Radio, and Wayne Basta, author of the Aristia series of novels. is up gamer nation gm chris here and for those who may be tuning in for the very first time this is the order 66 podcast the original podcast entirely devoted to star wars role-playing and i'm joined tonight uh by the two co-hosts who make this all possible um one of which has not been with us in a couple episodes and we're glad to have him back gm dave homie dude buddy pal muchacho how you doing man Apparently he's Who are you calling muchacho, chief? Calling you muchacho. Maybe, maybe I should call you a muchaco. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No. Muchaco. No. Mm, muchaco. <laughs> You're the bean in my muchaco. Wow. That is so not going to get me anywhere with my wife. <laughs> um, But thanks. I'll add it to my lexicon. It's pretty good. <laughs> um and also of course gm phil sir how are you i'm all right i'm all right little under the weather for some odd reason can't figure out why just feel kind of run down um maybe i got some kind of heat exposure today and just trying to recover from that so heat exposure but, how hot was it where you were uh well it was in the, it was like low 90s today but it was also the first time in about four or five weeks that i actually could mow my lawn because ever since then, it's been pretty much high 80s and 90s and no rain. So I had this giant field of dead things. But uh, over the past couple, we- over the past two weeks, we finally got enough rain to actually have the grass grow. So really, yeah. uh huh. Well, this is good. Um, mm. This is very good. So yeah, that's you know, I went up to New York this week. So I was kind of in your neighborhood, at least in the Northeast, right? In Connecticut? Yeah. Yep. 
You know it was warmer up there than it was here in Dallas? Yep. We had a lot of droughts. We had a lot of drought going on up here. A lot of towns up here have uh, announced like drought warnings and not full-blown drought emergencies, but we haven't been getting much water. We've just been getting a lot of heat, and it, it, it's hurting. So, hey, it is what it is. We got a, del- we got a deluge here last weekend, man. So We could use it. Send it up. <laughs> oh, very nice. Very nice. Um, dude, that's very, very cool. Well, I, I'm, I'm glad to have you both back for this episode. Um, you guys want to, want to dive right into it? I think we should. Let's do it. Hello there. What have we here? Good news. Announcements, announcements. Do we have a featured podcast of the week, Mr. Dave? Um, let me think about it. Yeah, we do, actually. And uh, this goes back to the halcyon days of original box set D&D. Don't we all remember those days? Yeah. Uh, but for those of us who want to remember with longing an earlier time... Uh, box set original D&D still alive and on the table probably for none more than DMs like Mike, Liz, and Jim, the hosts of Save or Die. Devoted to box set gaming. Hey, they released a wicked side adventure episode last week, their 12th, that showcases the previously unreleased audio footage of the 2016 J. Eric Holmes seminars hosted by Chris Holmes and Black Blade Publishing. Very fun look into some excellent game design and... Of course, you can find that in many, 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 many more great podcasts at triple dub d20radio.com. Word. So, Star Wars news. Um, guys, uh, the week after our last episode, the full Rogue One trailer dropped. <laughs> yeah, you know. You know, I know what? What do I know? What? Tell me. What do I know? Is it possible to be in love with every single female lead I've seen in Star Wars? <laughs> yes. yes. Why? I've, I've been in love with every single female lead I've seen in Star Wars to date, so why would that change? Um, yeah. um, is that a problem? Is that a problem? What? What? The, I, what? Huh? I even, I even like the dancer chick with the six boobs. I even liked her. <laughs> <laughs> she apparently slimmed up not real nice in Tales of Jabba's Palace. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Apparently she's got all that water weight as if she's like her species is like part camel. <laughs> <laughs> she like she and someone else had to walk out from Jabba's palace to Moss Eisley or someplace like that. And by the time she got there, she was like she 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 was a hard body. Really, interesting, yeah. huh? Uh-huh. And Megan Fox player. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, what did you guys think of the Rogue One trailer, man? Thoughts, ideas, opinions? Is it December yet? I know. <sighs> Um, visually unbelievable. I give that planet eh, about three quarters of the way through the film, probably not even then for surviving the, the Jida or whatever the heck it is, the, the basically Bethlehem for the, for, uh, for, um, for Jedi. Yeah, Jerusalem, yeah. They're saying this yeah, is, Jerusalem, yeah. that's the word for Jerusalem. Yeah, I'm like, okay, so there's a Star Destroyer there, and it's really looking like the Death Star is checking it out. 
this planet's going away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I fully agree. Um, it was, it was like, I don't know, man. It was like, uh, you got to see, uh, Saw Gerrera, you know, of course, played by Forrest Whitaker, uh, his new reshoot haircut. Um, yeah. I, I kind of like yeah. the bald look better. I'm just saying. Yeah. Forrest Whitaker to me just detracts from the film and I'm not entirely sure why. Really? I, just, I don't like him in it. Oh man. I, I like Forrest Whitaker in anything. Um, I usually would say yes, but I don't know. He's. But, I mean, I would have said the same thing uh, about Mace Windu back in the day, having, you know, all of a sudden getting uh, old Capital One in there. <laughs> I think Capital One was post-prequel. So, right. I don't know. And remember, you know, you guys realize that Rogue One is technically a prequel. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's a pre-prequel. Oh, yeah. yeah, hashtag Rogue One is a prequel. Um, That's right, it is. <laughs> So it's there. Um I absolutely love um uh, uh uh what's his nuts? Um uh why can why is this guy's name slipping off my head? The actor who played Wash in Serenity and Firefly. Oh, Andy Tudyk. And, uh I'm sorry? Andy Tudyk. Hey, oh yeah, yes. Al- Alan to Alan. Alan. Alan, sorry, Alan. Alan Tudyk. Okay. Alan. Um as uh, Alan. Alan. as uh, Alan. Alan, thank you. Um as K2SO. Uh I think I I think he's going to be fantastic. Um, it kind of reminds me of Proxy from The Force Awakens just a little bit. I can take that. I can take that. Um, with a little bit of, of, of HK-47 uh, from the KOTOR mixed in there. And, uh, you know, it's like, Captain says you have a friend. I will not kill you. <laughs> like, Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. And then Donnie Yen being even more Donnie Yen and a complete badass. I, I'm just, yeah, I'm yeah. totally yeah. on board. And the look and the styling, I just, I, I don't know. I, I, I think if anyone was on the fence from the teaser and everything else, I think with this release, I, I just, I don't, I don't, and I don't want to see any more. I don't want another trailer. Yeah. I don't, I don't want one. I mean, do you guys, I'm, I'm totally fine with this. I, I don't, I don't think we need any more. I'm not interesting, uh, interested to, uh, to, to, to see any more. Just, just show me what you got. It's great. I just want to, I just want December to come so I can go freaking see the Sorry. Movie. You're going to get another one. You're going to get another one, and it's going to start in theaters in next month. Damn it. Uh, maybe early October. That'd be two months. Maybe. I, I mean, maybe. maybe. Yeah, maybe. And then, of course, the inevitable 80,000 TV spots. At least they're not doing the trailer for the trailer. I'm really sick of the trailer for a trailer. Where it's really? like it's like yeah. a, it's like a 10 second being like the trailer comes out Friday. I'm like, what the? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to hit you. I'm going to find out who came up with this idea and hit them. Hit you in the face. The only decent trailer for a trailer I've seen so far has been for Deadpool, and that was it. Yes. But, you know, but but that would be fitting because it's a stupid idea. It would make perfect sense for Deadpool. So, I anyway. Um I, I yeah, I am I'm complete I'm completely uh okay, so the the trailer, um there's that that scene where she's like on this platform way up high and there's this tie fighter that shows up right in front of her, you know? I have to figure that that's her beaming the data up to the Detentive 4. I think so. Do you think she's going to survive this film? I don't think anybody's going to survive this film. I think the entire team gets wiped out. Uh, that that's, that's where my money is on. My money is on each and every one of uh, Jin's team dying. Yeah. Because it would be apropos for a war movie, but it's Disney. Not going to happen. Uh, we'll see. Han Solo died. We'll see. We'll see. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Did you actually see the body? 
nobody comes back from that, man. <laughs> it's Disney. He fell into a billion meter chasm. It doesn't, you know, like and then and then the planet exploded. And then the planet exploded. Yeah, he he did. In there, it started there. I don't know. I, if they do bring back Han, that would be the lamest cop out in. It would, I, yeah. But I mean, wouldn't wouldn't all that mass have have to have turned it into a singularity? In which case, he's going to be floating somewhere near the rings of Saturn. It didn't. It didn't turn into a singularity. It turned into a sun. We saw it turn into a sun. Oh right, right, right. True. True. Oh, never mind. Okay, he's dead. Yeah, he he did. <laughs> he's a star. He, he did. He, he really did. He really, really did. Plus, Leia got her force vision and all that, you know, where she felt him die. So he, yeah, he did. Um, Harrison Ford would never agree to come back either. <laughs> no, I have a hunch. The reason why he did come back for this one is like you're gonna kill me this time because he's right? gonna die. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, um, Phil, we got any FFG news? A couple pe- uh, bits of pieces. Uh, Friends like these, a new Age of Rebellion adventure. Uh, and as someone who playtested this a while ago, it's awesome to finally see this come to come to uh, come to fruition. Uh, a great new article of dropped it about it dropped on FFG's site, uh, teasing the new adventure module, which takes the PCs to the outer rim planet of Zorn, where they must race over 48 hours to organize defenses against an imperial attack and recruit defenders for the rebellion. This innovating ticking clock mechanic is written into the adventure and provides some amazing new rules options for all of us. I especially can't wait. I had a blast running this module. I'm very curious to see what's changed, what's been updated, and uh, the release date is quarter four, so sometime by, uh, by the holiday season, we should see this wonderful book on the shelves. And for anyone who's saying, oh god, another adventure book, why would I want it? Uh, on the product page for friends like these, they do announce the fact that yes, there are stats for Mandalorian humans in this book. Oh hell! Let me guess: the knowledge warfare can be trained up to three. I mean, yeah, okay. Um, Y'all might be a little surprised. I might be a little surprised. That's all I'm gonna say: if 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 things are the things, y'all might be surprised. Y'all might be surprised. <laughs> Maybe we'll see. We'll One free rank of knowledge warfare. Yeah, uh, we'll 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 see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Okay. Okay. So friends like these, quarter four. Okay. Yep. Uh, and additionally, if anyone's gone out and picked up E Force Awakens beginner game, uh, they've released much like they did for all the other games, uh, their adventures, a follow a free follow up module adventure, uh, to the Force Awakens beginner game called A Call for Heroes. Uh, it is available online for free from the product page for the beginner's game. Um, even if you're not running the Force Awakens beginner's game, even if you're not running something in the Force Awakens era, there's a lot of neat, sto- uh, a lot of neat story there. Some neat NPCs, n- cool gear, cool f- stat blocks to use. It's and it's free. Go and get it. It's it's awesome. And you can find right. that as well as other articles over at www.fantasyflightgames.com. There you go. It's free. It's free. It's free. So do we have any D20 radio news? Any? Yeah, I suppose. <clears throat> um, you know, there's this thing called the interweb, and um, while you're out there surfing the interweb, I think you really owe it to yourself to head over to the one gaming blog that's out there, and it's not just for the men. But for the women and the 
children. <laughs> it's d20radio.com. Uh, some of the most talented writers this side of the Dune Sea continue to provide some of the best fan-generated content and articles out there on the web. And the highlights this week are Mr. Benjamin Erickson continues his workshop series with a nostalgia-inspiring look at his favorite mechanic from Watsy's old saga edition of Star Wars game, the Condition Track. Y'all remember that? It's a good oh, discussion yeah. on this solid mechanic design and just what it imparted to the role-playing experience. And Chris Hunt wows us with a new piece in his Holonet Uplink series where he fleshes out five amazing Star Wars campaign ideas that you can use tonight if you're so inclined. Digging into cool and obscure Star Wars lore and scenarios, he brings us some real inspiration. And you can find these articles, these amazing articles, I might add, and so much more every day over at d20radio.com. Daily content, daily content. Um, <clears throat> and while you guys are at d20radio.com, of course, on the right-hand side of the page, you can find a couple buttons, big graphical button links that will take you to our forums where you can become a part of our forum community. But also take you to our Patreon, or of course you can just head to patreon.com slash d20radio, where if you enjoy this podcast and the other podcasts on the D20 Radio Network, you enjoy the blog and the content that we are producing, you can pledge just a couple dollars a month, really, to help keep the lights on, the servers humming, and, as we like to say, continue to keep our authors paid for the work they write. So, for those of you who are supporting, thank you. And, of course, stay in the know on social media. You guys can follow D20 Radio on the Facebooks. We have a D20 Radio page for the entire network where there's always amazing discussion and fun stuff. Um, you know, news and podcast info on a very regular basis. Um, also, you can become a fan of the Order 66 podcast Facebook page. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter at D20 Radio. We post and tweet info and announcements regularly. All right, guys, I think it's time we stop down right now and check in with SWRPG Adventures and the most informative 140 characters or less on the Internet with SWRPG's Adventure of the Week. And we'll see you on the other side in one minute. Welcome to Star Wars Adventures of the Week, brought to you by SWRPG Adventures on Twitter this week. An ISB agent has found a corrupt Imperial governor. Yet she can't arrest him. He's too well-connected. But if he were taken out by the rebels... This has been Star Wars Adventures of the Week, brought to you by SWRPG Adventures. For more adventure ideas in 140 characters or less, be sure to follow SWRPG Adventures on Twitter. And remember, keep adventuring! Very nice, very nice. Okay, so I have to point out that SWRPG Adventures, they, he, he's gotten so popular now that he's actually created a website. You can actually go to SWRPGAdventures.com, um, and it, it's just this crazy little cool website where it's a starry background, and when the page loads, it shows an opening crawl, and the opening crawl is an SWRPG adventure. Just one random adventure. <laughs> it's awesome. It's absolutely awesome. It's great. And then, and then, like, when it's finished, you can reload. Like, there's a little button. You can reload the page. It shows you another one and another one. And it's, yeah, he did a great job. So It is simple, yet elegant. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, just, it's absolutely great. 
Um, so very, very good, good stuff. All right, guys. Well, do you want to dig into the meat? Because we have a very <clears throat> odd and interesting show tonight. Yes. All right. Well, uh, let's kick off with this. All right, so what are what are we gonna call this meat of the show, boys? <clears throat> Don't hate the game, hate the player. <laughs> <laughs> well, you shouldn't hate anything, really. Um, you know, uh, so, you know, uh, you know uh, existentially speaking. Um, <laughs> so, uh, since the relaunch of the Order sixty six podcast, uh, what three and a half years ago, almost. Um, you know, to transition to, to FFG's over three and a half years ago, uh, to, to transition to FFG's Star Wars system, we have devoted 17 episodes to helping our listeners become better GMs from tips and tricks to tracking and running games, uh, campaign and module creation, uh, converting players and more and more and more. It's some of our most frequently requested set of topics, which is a really good thing. It means that GMs want to become better at running games. But tonight, we're exploring something we've never really addressed directly, uh, the other side of the GM screen. And recently, one of our top five requested show topics on the Order 66 podcast Facebook page is tips and tricks on how to be a better player. Advice that's not so much about how to optimize your character, as most of our episodes are about, but how to be an overall good, memorable, effective, and successful player in this system, regardless of what kind of character you're playing. So buckle up, Gamer Nation, because we're going to turn the mirror inward. You must unlearn what you have learned in order to be a superb player tonight on your Order 66 podcast. So this is a this is an odd topic for us, guys. I mean, <laughs> it is a little bit, but I mean... It's it's overdue in my opinion. I, I won't I won't disagree. Um, but I think that's why so many people voted for it. I, I mm. yeah yeah I, I I really I agree. You got a point. Um, so dude, I mean Dave, I mean before we start off though, do we do we have a boilerplate? Do we need to do we need to clear up anything and and sort of set the stage here? Yes, 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 yes. This is this is it, right? So before we dive into this, it's really, really important that we're going to set your expectations for just what this episode is about, okay? And keep in mind, there are thousands, probably, consequently, millions of amazing blogs and podcasts and YouTube videos and books that provide tips on how to be a good player in a role-playing game. And that's not really what we're going for here. So to level set your expectations, just understand all players are dicks. Yeah. No, I'm I'm kidding. All of I'm them. I'm kidding. And and what we're what we're really going for is system specific advice, right? So we're not gonna come out here and say, Well, this is how you're gonna be a good player. Uh yeah, we're gonna talk hey, about fate. The spotlight. do this, do that, you yeah. know. Now we're going to talk about Dungeons and Dragons and the old D20. No, we're not going to do that at all, all right? So this is tips and advice learned from a lot of experience, mind you, on how to be a good player in this 
system, FFG's Star Wars system. And the reason for that is, of course, it's different than most. And it's why we love it, because it is different than most. That also means that there's new avenues for players to mess things up. Yeah. Or to become valuable members of the group, right? Yes. Of course, right? Of course. And some of our advice is indeed going to apply to other games and other systems. Yes. But on the whole, we have carefully tailored our advice to this system. Okay? Okay. There you go. Level set. Okay. Boom. Okay? Okay. Okay? Okay. 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 And I think it's important also to say that that uh, to preface this by saying perfect players are impossible. Yeah. I mean, just like perfect gyms, they, they're they a mythical creature. They don't exist. Whatever. <laughs> we're not saying that you must diligently follow every piece of advice we're about to lay out here, guys, um, in order to play the system well. I think what we are going to saying is that these are some really solid goals to work towards. And also, we realize that, I mean, Phil, every group is different. Your group is every your group is radically different from my group. <laughs> <laughs> from from the stories that we we trade, yes, yes, they are they are way different, way different. And yet there are a lot of similarities between them that help them maintain and and make the entire session fun for everyone. So yes, yes. But the the point being that while our general advice works for us, and and again, guys, we're not inexperienced <laughs> here, um, and, and our varied groups. Your group might not need one of these particular pieces of advice among its players, and and that's okay. But on the whole, th- this is good. What we're what we're advising you is going to apply to the majority of groups. So yeah, okay. Um, okay, guys. So now that we got that out of the way, I really want to have an organic discussion here. I know we've got an outline, and we've all got our tips and ideas that are really specific to this system on being mm-hmm. a, a better player. Um, and I, I really to to kind of dive into those um and those real just concrete tips to make our listeners the best players they can be in this system right on right on so who wants to start who um wants to start? i'll go first okay. i'll go first uh you will? let's yes All let's right. start with dice Let's start with dice because they're, they're, we've got a brand new dice mechanic and sort of a brand new dice etiquette going on here in the system. Um, everyone is familiar with a long-standing tradition and superstition among many role players that you never touch another man's dice. <laughs> yes. Or another person's dice. Lord knows I've got plenty of uh, females at my table. Um, in FFG, the narrative system, it's actually rare to find a player using only their dice. Um, there are dice being traded back and forth uh, between most of my players. They'll have like a couple sets, but occasionally they need another red or they need another four star or whatnot. But there's still a major die faux pas that you should try to avoid. And let's let's get started with that. Uh, the one first piece of advice that we've got is respect other players' dice adjudication. Simply put, this means that it is typically a very bad idea to sum up another player's role. Hmm. For some players, especially new players of the system, it can uh, take a moment or two to perform your cancellations and figure out what it is you just rolled on. I mean, we've got three axes of resolution here going on, two of which cancel each other out, one of which is just there and extra, so it does this and it still sticks around. And we've 
painfully watched as a tender new player stares at his role for 30, 50, uh, 60 seconds trying to figure it out. Especially <laughs> when, as a more seasoned player, you can merely glance at the dice pool and instantly calculate the results. Dude, I, I am so familiar with this. and Because every time I play with new players who are not that common, it's like, I can look at the dice pool and like I don't even have to think instantly. I just instantly know the role at this point. Instantly calculate it. But you watch these guys just stare at their dice for like 30 seconds, right? As a, they're, what does this mean? And they're just doing the mental math. They they get it, but they're just happy. It's their anyway. I yeah. Uh, and yeah, it it we're able to power through. We're we're able to just blast through. We look and let we look and see. Okay, that advantage and success is canceled out by that result of threat and despair. Uh, uh threat and uh, failure. This goes here. That goes there. <sighs> you know, it it comes with being heavily practiced and, and playing this game as often as a lot of us do. Uh, but the point here is that this serious temptation to do the work for the other player as they stare at the dice is is not the way you want to proceed. You want to do the game. You want the game to be. You want the game to move along, and you might get annoyed or frustrated by waiting for this person to calculate up their die rolls. But to be fair, you got to let them do it. You got to let them do it because they need to get that practice that you had. That. They need to be able to learn and glance down and say, okay, I've got a bunch of advantage, I've got a bunch of threat. These two cancel out. What the hell is this winged thing? Okay, that's an advantage. All right, so that canceled out by these TIE fighter cockpit-looking things. They need to get the practice of doing that themselves so they can get up to close to your level or even to your level and just be able to look at the dice as quickly as they can and get rid of it. Plus, think about it from their perspective. They roll the dice, they're looking at them, they're kind of staring at them, trying to figure it out what happened, and then someone else just sort of leans in and says, oh, you got failure with three advantage, uh, figure out what you want to do, and just snatches up the dice and starts putting together their own dice pool. If you touch man's dice and tell them what they've got before they're actually complete, you might be a jack wagon. Maybe. And, Maybe. And, dude, I've, I've, I've done this. You know, I'm guilty of this. Yeah. I have done this in the past. I yeah. try so hard not to do it now, but I've done it. You know, it's not right for the GM to do it either. No, no, it's not. Right. Um, I, I, I absolutely do this myself. You know, when I do this, I do this at conventions. I do this at conventions because I've got this little clock going in the back of my head that says, dude, you need to get to this session. You need, you need to get to this section. You need to get through this encounter. You got this coming up. You've burned an hour of game on this. You need to move this thing along. So I've got, I've got that bit of time crunch urgency to move the game along as quick as I can. And maybe I don't feel at, at that moment. I don't feel like I've got the time to let this person learn the game. Got to dial that back. Got to dial it back. So let me ask you this, because I, I I don't recall ever having done that, but I may have. I don't. I just don't recall it. I don't recall. You I will ever, react ever and I'll that. be like, yes or oh. I won't tell them what the answer is, but I'll react to it because oh, I'll yeah. at it immediately know if they succeeded or not. Right. But I won't tell them what it is. Is yeah. that something that is going to be more in the realm of the people that GM more than they play? Because oh. you're used to doing it. You're trying to move the game along. Blah 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 blah. Um, I, I have seen it from a lot of players. Um, I, I honestly don't know their, their, their GM capacity and it, it could, it could very well be, be that it could be, you could be right there. But I mean, it, it's, it's one of those things that I, I, I feel, I have to agree with Phil's point so much. I think 
I'm like, I think this is one of the most damaging things you can do to another player at the table, regardless of who you are, because in essence, you're telling that player without telling them when you do this, that they don't know what they're doing. And, and mm-hmm. this, this just, this does not foster a love of the game or any game uh, for a player. Um, I mean, I've, I've gotten to the point, even, even then I'll occasionally be guilty of this, but when I see it happening, I try to stop it. And you guys, you guys have all played with me. I'm, 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 I'm much like Phil. I'm a very commanding GM. I control the table, right? Sure. Um, and I boilerplate myself before we even start. And there have been times like at Gamer Nation Con specifically, just, you know, that I'll, I'll be like, I'll, some, I'll see this start to happen and I'll, I'll, I'll reach my hand out to the player who's trying to calculate for the roller. And I'll be like, Hey, Hey, d- let, let him do it. Just let it, let it, let him do it. And usually that, that player will sort of like, oh, shrink back, like, oh, okay, I oh, shouldn't be doing that. But, you know, it's, this is a huge offense and it's a problem. It's a problem. It's, it's bad player behavior in this system. Yeah. And it's, it's alpha gaming too, right? And I hate alpha gamers. <laughs> wow. Now we do have an interesting little bit of a, of a, I don't want to say a cheat, but with the die rolling app, I've got one table where, Literally, just more than just about more than half the table is using the app, and they're fine with it. They're happy with it. They like it. They just you know set up their dice pool, uh, shake the phone, the dice roll, calculates down at the bottom. They're happy. They're fine. They move it right along. Um, that's okay too. Yeah, yeah it does the calculation for you. Yeah, yeah, it does the calculation for you. But uh, it's also you know just because that's doing that those calculations for you, and that's what you're most comfortable with. Still be patient with those folks who are rolling the physical dice putting together their results and and trying to cancel out and figure out what the numbers are. Um, is it is it okay, I'm, for, I'm asking both of you, is it okay if the guy's been staring at it for 30 seconds, is it okay to ask if he would like help? Yeah, because you don't want to, you want to have so. a flounder. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, like, he rolls it and be like, do you need help calculating that? Calculating that? <laughs> the <laughs> dice haven't stopped moving. Do you need like, assistance? You want help? You want help? I can do it. I can do it fast. I can do it faster than anybody you know. Um, uh, <laughs> but, you know, if he's, if he's floundering and staring at it for a minute, I mean, I've also well, I think that I think that's firmly in the realm of the GM to ask, do you need help? Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't mind an experienced player doing it either, as long as it's done, you know. Uh, meaningfully and and you know with genuine with with earnest earnestness you know yeah. would um, you like a hand figuring that out it's like well, yeah would you, would you would you like a hand but just just you know be patient wait yeah. it, it it's okay for you know and even experienced players man not everyone can do the mental gymnastics we can sure <laughs> not every not everyone's as sharp when it comes to those types of mental tasks so you know just be patient yeah Give them a minute, let them figure out that the extra effort to give them an extra moment at the beginning, early on in the game or the campaign, will pay off dividends later on as they are able to roll the dice, look at them, and within a couple seconds say, all right, I've got this, this, and this. Here's my results. Let's talk about what they uh, what they mean. Yeah. Dane Denath is in chat. He says he had a brand new player never come back to another session after that happened. Yeah, that's the effect. Well, yeah, that's because he reached his big old paw across and grabbed the dice. I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't have done it either. So that's the effect this can have. This is this is really this is really good advice. Okay, so tip one: never touch another man's dice, or <laughs> rather, never adjudicate another man's dice. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. Um. 
what's next? How about this? How about when you hog obligation or duty screen time? Uh, And this is, I mean, okay, so obligation and duty are uh, mechanics that are absolutely beloved by, I would say, most fans of this system for a real good reason, right? They're unique character resources that not only do they support good role-playing opportunities and tangible benefits for your PC, but they give your GM a codified mechanical way to work your characters, personal stories, backstories, whatever you want to call them, into the game. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's natural that some players are going to want to push their obligation or duty into the limelight, right? Yes. You know, it's me, it's me. More me, more me, me time, me time. People are going to want to buy down their obligation and increase their duty, their duty. Morality doesn't really have this issue because it doesn't provide such quick in-game benefit or drawback, right? So, Word. you know, it's, it's uh, uh, you know, I, it, in my, I mean, good players are going to realize that duty actually functions as a group mechanic. The way it's designed, you might never increase your personal duty once, but because duty benefits are all about the group's overall contribution rank, not each, you know, individual PCs, that's okay. And you got to know that as a player. Right. You know, the group's total duty has to get to 100. It doesn't matter who gets it there. You just want to get there as a group. We're all in this together. Right? Yeah, that's what I love love about duty. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) But on the obligation side of the coin, again, great players are going to realize that with obligation, the entire group suffers when any one player's obligation gets too high, and so they will work together to bring it down. <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, that's that's just it. I mean, if you're going if you want to be a really good player in this system, you will, I would say wisely so, latch on to other characters' obligations and duties and help them working hard yourself and help them get bought off or achieved because one as a player, you're going to realize it benefits you, too. And two, because it's an amazing excuse to endear your PC to another PC, and then you are getting closer to another player, Yeah. for that matter. I mean, hey, friends at the table, right? And third, and maybe most importantly so, when you do it for other people... There's a quid pro quo mechanic, and they'll do it for you. It's wonderfully more efficient, and it provides group cohesion, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, yeah, there you go. That's No, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Like, as a, as a player, I mean, I've learned very quickly that really successful players never think about their own obligation and never think about their own duty. It's all about what is your obligation and your duty, the other, the other four or five of you, and all they do is focus on that. And you're right, man. If you do that, the rest of the group will come around to your crap too, and they'll want to help you out as well. <laughs> That's right. Oh, yeah. A great GM once said, ask not what your group can do for you, but what you can do for your group. <laughs> a lot of you don't know that Kennedy and Marilyn Monroe were actually playing D&D in the secret room in the White House. Um, I actually wouldn't be surprised about that. <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't know, Phil. They, would... they were they were beta testing Margaret Weiss's first system. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so, Phil, what are your thoughts on this, man? I mean, I mean, what are your experience, your own experiences with your players handling obligation and, and duty well? Obli- uh, obligation doesn't seem to be a problem. Um, folks are more than willing to have their theirs and their teammates' obligations get paid down as quickly as possible because no one wants to be. No PC wants to be responsible for having every other ally in the game take a minus two hit to their strain threshold if they happen to roll doubles and it's their <laughs> and it's their obligation. <laughs> yep. Um, so they really like to try to get that down as low as possible. Definitely under fifty, but even under twenty-five if they can get it. I mean, like overall, not just individually, because that's harsh. Um, duty is the harder one to kind of. Um, Harder one to, to kind of uh, just l- kind of let it be and happen because everyone wants to feel like they're contributing by having their duty score increase, um, which is why it's also kind of important as a GM to, if you do have a session where someone doesn't end up getting an increase to their duty score because they really didn't have much of an opportunity to do so. Make a note of that, and as a GM, put that in your next session to give them an opportunity or two to have their 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 particular duty requirement uh, able to attempt to be fulfilled. But yeah, because everyone wants to feel like they're contributing. So yeah, okay. Well, so then, Phil, how does this? Because I mean, I think this might dovetail into our our next kind of quick tip, and really, maybe this next tip is really or, or the the tip we just talked about. You know, the idea of of really not hogging obligation or duty screen time is really a part of, of this next tip in, in a sense. I mean, what, what do you think? The narrative? No, focus on helping other players. Oh, that I'm sorry. My bad. Um, yeah, no, a- absolutely. Um, it's, it's very much in the same vein as that tip, uh, but a really good player in the system learns his party's backstories be aware of what your motivations for your fellow PCs are. Be aware of what their obligations are, because let's face it, those obligations are going to be your adversaries too, not directly, but you're going to be caught in the backlash of, of, of whatever obligation that particular PC has. Um, duties, let's face it, you're all in this together. So even if you've got a mixed group of Force and Destiny characters and uh, Age of Rebellion characters and Edge of the Empire characters like I tend to run, um, Helping advance the alliance or whatever paramilitary organization you're involved in uh, is going to help the rest of you overall. Um, helping them get that duty score up, get that contribution rank, and lately that contribution rank has led to base improvements. Uh, that tends to be something that a lot of my duty-based teams have been uh, uh, obtaining. They've been obtaining these bases, which means they can get those upgrades. They can get those uh, repair yards and and uh, med bays and extra NPCs and all kinds of uh, and armories, which are allowing those who might not be officially signed on with the Alliance to get boost dice for their mechanics checks, to have access to a Bacta tank, <laughs> um, to, 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 to be able to get weaponry that is normally restricted or rare, but at a much easier time to do so. So supporting those guys is big, too. So support each other. Support each other's, um, support each other's backgrounds and backstories and, and motivations and, and goals. That's, that's just, that's just even just general good team building for any game. Um, 
be aware of what someone's emotional axis is, you know, what their emotional strength and emotional weakness is for a force user. Know if you get into a situation where there's a Jedi, where one of your force using buddies uh, has a strong sense of justice, but also a, a bit of cruelty towards those who are, uh, who might, uh, who might just push their buttons the wrong way when that uh, force using buddy decides to go into uh, the executioner aspect of, uh, of the judge jury executioner role that, you know, maybe they really wouldn't want to kill that guy. Or, hey, who knows? Texas law. He needed killing. That happens a lot, too. <laughs> Texas, Texas law. Texas law. He That's need- what we call it up here. We call it Texas law. He needed killing. He needed killing. <laughs> <laughs> he, he needed he needed killing. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think... And, you know, Dave, you mentioned this before when you were talking about not hogging the obligation and duty spotlight. When you focus on your party's backstories and helping them achieve their goals, you're so going to just endear yourself to the other players in the group. I mean, and they're consequently going to be the first ones up to help you with your problems. You know what I mean? Well, as if you're in a good group. Well, that's the thing. If... And, and this is, okay, here's another side, okay? You say if you're in a good group. We're talking about making a good group, right? Yeah. Mm. Look, people... But sometimes you just can't help it. There's a dick across the table from you. There, 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 there can be a dick across the table from you. But here, in, in my experience, people, uh, humans are social creatures, even the nerdiest among us. And social creatures tend to unconsciously mimic and represent the behavior that is given to them, right? This is this is just a, a, a truth. If someone is nice to you, earnestly, you're going to be nice to them back. Oh, the basics of neuro-linguistic programming with GM Chris. Um, mm. um, uh, dude, and I've, guys, I've talked about this before with GM advice, how, you know, you set the stage and your players will follow suit, right? That's not yeah. a GM player relationship. This is psychology. This is human versus human interaction. And if you are taking the time over a session or two to really focus on another player's efforts, especially the dick, okay, you, you, you. <laughs> I'm sorry. That just came out all wrong. Yeah, sorry. Okay. You could, you could cut that out of the show and, and <laughs> people, people, people have ringtones or, or, or text message alerts, you know, with GM Chris saying, especially the dick. Um, all right, if you're especially focusing on the jerk player, um, uh, you know, if you if you happen to have one, I mean, in my experience, you will find that player becomes more emotionally viable and more open and helpful to others in the campaign. Um, you know, not always, but usually. And yeah, a lot of the times, you're right. It yeah, softens them up. It really, it really does soften them up, and. You know, be again, be the change you want to see in the world. If you, if you, if you, if you do this, it will have an effect on your group. It really will, and they won't even realize it, but it will. So, um, that's right. Make sure and make sure and stroke the dick. Okay, uh, just to make him feel better. All right, we're 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 getting into parental advisory warning here. So let's 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 uh, uh yeah, um, uh, okay. Okay, so we've we've talked about um, uh, obviously don't adjudicate another man's dice, don't hog obligation or duty screen time, uh, focus on helping other players. Another big tip that I like to champion, and I don't see nearly enough players doing this. Um, it, another thing that if if you start doing it will it will it will unconsciously start filtering out to the rest of the players as well. 
As a player, you should work hard to narrate your own results. Yep. Um, players who really get FFG's Star Wars system, I mean, really get it, really get it, they learn how to properly narrate their own dice results instead of letting the GM do it. Um, that means understanding, first and foremost, what the dice mean. The, the, the order of operations for dice, they're, they're pretty easy to figure out. If it's blue or black, it's all about environmental or other circumstantial bonuses and penalties. If it's yellow or red die, it's all about advanced training or extenuating circumstances. Uh, if it's green or purple, it's all about base ability or base difficulty. So, so if I fail a roll and it was because I had a failure show up on that black setback die, then my narration tells me that the rain blocked my vision or his armor glanced the blow. Uh, or my eyes hadn't yet adjusted to the darkness. I mean, whatever, whatever the, the cause of the setback die was in that case. I started coughing because of the smoke. Because of the smoke, exactly. Um, you know, if, if I succeed due to uh, double successes on my yellow die, I know that success was because of my advanced training or the power of destiny, <laughs> uh, you know, or, or whatever reason caused the upgrade. And, you know, so many players, it's like, okay, um, I failed with. To advantage, yeah, fill to advantage, and that's it. They just stop talking, and they just look at they the look GM. At the, they look at the raw results and not where those came from. Not where those came from. It, it's like it's called the narrative dice system, or we call it the narrative dice system for a reason. <laughs> mm. So, like, take pride in your narration, and like, so few players do this, and I love it when I see it. And I think so few players are comfortable doing this. And try not to be that player. Take responsibility for your own dice pool and offer cool narration. It's your success and your failure. Um, after all, I got to admit that I'm kind of guilty of doing this myself. Oh yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Especially at a con game when you're trying to move things along. Well, there, there's that, but also as a GM, I feel like I'm. There's also the whole I'm juggling a lot anyway, so I'm. I, I am still trying to move things along as as a GM. But there are times where I will look at the dice and I'll remember. And I'll like, oh, wait, yeah, that's okay, all right. I'll look at the dice and say, okay, now, why did you get all those failures when that turbo laser hit you? Uh, oh, a lot of it came off the black. Okay, so it hit you, so you, it hit your shields, but the shields deflected it and resulted in a failed, failed attack check. So you guys survived because the, the laser blast hit your shields. Great. Um, I, I I have to guess, I, uh, on an odd guess, I have to say that I probably do that about 20 to 30% of the time. And most of the time I'm not. I'm looking at the results and I'm not looking at, you know, I, I'm seeing, I'm not seeing the forest through the trees. Yeah, you're, you're talking, you're talking about a very advanced skill set now. Because now, not only now have we told the players they have to understand all three aspects of what the dice are telling them all three <laughs> in order to calculate their result but now they've got to be able to understand which dice are giving them which results and it's going to take some time yeah and and that's the point is is you can take pride in doing this too um if if you're able to do it and you can do it well it can really enhance your game wouldn't you say Oh, and you know what we've we've said to to flip the flip the screen back to the GM side. We've said multiple times, ask the player what they want to do with their advantage. Oh, oh, well, that's true, true. I guess that yeah, well, I mean, that would fall into too. You're putting the onus on the player anyway. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, it, and it's it's and that's the thing. It, it, it the system, and we've talked about this before, encourages a level of 
player narration in the story that we don't commonly see in big box systems. So, yeah. uh, you know, I, I just use it. And because all of us were weaned on D20 for so long, we're not used to it. You know, it, it's no. it's the GM show and he tells you what happened and why. But, you know, and he still is the final adjudicator and arbiter in this system. But, you know, use your narration. You're taking work out of the GM's hands. And personally, as a GM, I will tell you, I'm grateful for that. Uh, mm. Terribly grateful. <laughs> um, uh, well, gee, that's one less thing I have to think about. There are some players I play Star Wars with that they, that, that there's a couple, they do this. And I, I, I love it. I look forward to it. Um, Brev does this. Uh, you know, because he's he's a natural. Any any excuse for Brev to talk is he's going to do it. <laughs> um, and so if he can if he can can narrate his own his own results, I mean he's he's just uh, it, it's there. Mm -hmm. We we had we had a session he played in where I I was I was I was like I was like a proud papa because he was just learning the system, and when he realized he could do this, he was playing a Trandoshan Marauder, and he. Uh, basically, he was um, he was trying to intimidate somebody, uh, and and he made the narrative case that because of the fact that he's a big scaly reptile of a Trandoshan, and this guy was a humanist, that he he should get a boost die <laughs> because of the fact that he's just a big scary Trandoshan, right? And he's in this yeah. in this guy's face, and I'm like, okay, yeah, that's cool. And the boost die led to the success on the check, and he was like. <laughs> And and, so, and he, I didn't even have to say anything. He's like, "Oh yes, all right." So because I'm a Trandoshan, I get in this guy's face and like, you know, like I, I pull back my extra set of reptilian eyelids to look really scary, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And I flange my face scales, you know. And he really got into it and and talked, you know. And I was I was so proud. It was, it was great. Um, but it adds so much to the game, so much to the game. Um. Okay, so narrate your own results. Um, now, in addition to managing that narrative description, guys, I think it's maybe just as important, perhaps even more so, as the one thing I think every player, even if they're not skilled at narration, um, that advanced skill set should do, is probably our next tip. And and this is, this, aside from the dice adjudication, may be the number one thing I wish our players listening would take away from this talk. Who wants it? Yeah, uh -huh. I'm leaving it open. You guys just throw away it. the suggested advantage and triumph results. Ah, uh, throw it out. Get rid of it. We're talking about that table in each of the core rulebooks and the GM screens that lists how you can spend advantage and triumphs. Um. Yeah. Um. It, now, understand what we're saying here. The table's amazing. It's great. It's very handy to have, and it's seriously helpful for understanding the mechanics of, what, of the game and how powerful four advantage is compared to two advantage, or how powerful a triumph is compared to three advantage. What we mean is, is that as a player, you shouldn't ever look at that table first. Right. We've all seen players who roll to advantage, and then when asked what they want to do with it, they just stare at the table and go, um, what do I want to do? Give him a setback. I can give a boost out of Dave, to Dave. Or, huh. Hmm. And they do that for 30 seconds. A good player completely shifts his or her mentality. When, you, when told you have advantage or triumph, use it narratively. 
and only then work with the GM to determine the mechanical benefit. So in other words, narrate the results before the mechanical benefit, because when it works right, one drives the other. When you roll to advantage, for example, you should first think about what narrative effect you could pull off. You're so skilled that you used your weapon to activate a special effect, or you want to further hinder your foes you targeted or as allies. Or you want to embolden your own allies in some way. Maybe you want to create an interesting environmental circumstance or another wrinkle to the scene. Once you got that figured out, you narrate it as part of your dice roll results narration. So, okay. So with the pouring rain streaming into my eyes, my vision falters for a second, and the shot only grazes my target's ear. But with my two advantage, I want him to freak out and jump back, exposing himself out of cover to one of my allies. Then, now that we've got that, we work with the GM to determine what the mechanical benefit is. All right, so I missed with my uh, I missed with my shot, but I want to spend my two advantage and give my sniper a boost die to blast him as he jumps back from his cover. How's that sound? So that, that that's kind of where you want to go with that. And and this is this is a very subtle thing, but it it matters because instead of sitting there pouring over the table and trying to figure out what the best like mechanical advantages that you can provide, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I can yeah. split, but it's like it, it's it's all about narration first. It's like okay, you got advantage. What do you want to do with it? I want to. Yeah. And as a GM, you can foster this too. Like, okay, what do you want to do with it? And they look at the list. I'm like, don't look at the list. Don't look at the list. What do you want to do? Do you want to help one of your allies? Do you want to? Do you want to? You know, expose him or or hurt him or or hinder? Do you want to? And when you get them thinking that way, they're like, oh man, well, I want to. I want to use that to advantage to like, you know. Uh, it, it, it can lead away from the from the table results, which is even better when they say, "I want to." Can I spend that to advantage to like have the blaster shot, maybe like hit a control panel behind him, uh, you know, and like maybe turn the lights out, and, and 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 that might sound egregious, but then you're like, okay, maybe they flicker, and that's gonna give him setback die. Does that you know does that work? And I mean, like the narration leads to the that that mechanic. You're right. It's like that's the way it should work. Right, the lights don't go out, but you blast one of the panels loose, and now it's swinging from its wires, which is causing all kinds of distortions in light, and shadows are moving, and it's very distracting. So you don't plunge the entire area into darkness, but you do screw up that person's ability to return fire. Exactly. But it's like, I hear players all the time, like, like I, can't think of what to, I can't think of what to do with my advantage. I can't think of what to do with it. Because in their brain... They're trying to think of the list of things you can do with it. And it's just completely the wrong way to think about it. It's like, do you, okay, you have advantage. Do you want to help your allies or do you want to hinder your enemies? Well, right. okay, what is this? Okay, well, let's drill into that further. How do you, I mean, you know, and, and, <laughs> and then if anyone, the GM should just instinctively be the master of that list and know what those results are and then be able to suggest appropriately. Like the player just says, yeah, I want to turn the lights out. And the GM can then say, okay, well, for two advantage, he can inflict a setback die in, in his head saying this. Okay, well, let's say the lights flicker or they, they burst and he's going to get a setback die on his next attack. Does that sound good? You know, I mean, that, you know, but you're not, I mean, this is, this is a complex thing to explain. <laughs> you know what the hardest part about trying to interpret multiple advantages? When you get some obscene amount of it. Yes. And then it turns into that they start thinking about like a, a grocery list. Basically, is really the only way I can describe it. It's like okay, I've got I rolled six advantage. Um, I can do I can and and they and they they, they just start going down the list. Like okay, I'm going to give a boost die to I'm going to give a boost die to to uh, to to Eric. I'm going to give a boost die to Anne Marie. 
I'm gonna recover to strain, and you know, and I'll leave a f- uh, floating die. I-, I know that this this isn't adding up to six, but y'all bear with me. And I'm just gonna leave another floating boost die out there for somebody. Six advantage, guys, or seven advantage, or gods, I've seen it before. Nine advantage. God. <laughs> yeah, no successes. Nine advantage. It's a whole bunch of yellows. <laughs> um, look. It's not a triumph, but it's damn near. Um, that many advantage. Once you start getting over like four and five into four and five and higher amounts of advantage, you're talking about something that has altered the battlefield or altered the scene. Yeah, I treat um, I treat four advantage like a triumph. You can like in my just my own thing is you can spend four advantage like a triumph. Period. That's cool. That's very that that that's hip. Very cool like that. Um, but. Take it, take take note of that, and say, okay, so he, I've got six advantage now. Um, I want to have my great oration uh, punch a uh, punch traceable holes in my opponents uh, in my opposition's arguments um, in this negotiation. I want to. Have them so distracted by it that they don't notice my ally, who is now moving across the, the moving across the uh, the room to try to get access to a control panel, and I am so pleased with the results of it that I am strengthened and and and, and just get my own mental uh, uh, increase my mental fortitude in this argument. Narrative results: my opponent gets a set, my opponent gets a setback die, my ally gets a boost die to their next action, and I recover two strain. Right, and the GM can help you with that. It's Absolutely. like it's like you, but your onus is just to come up with the badass narration, and that's the first thing you should think about. Yep, yep. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, Dave, what do you, what do you, what do you got on this, man? I mean, any thoughts? Or I, yeah? I'm like, can I just say that I agree? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so. and, and you use the example that I've seen be more perplexing than anything else is when somebody doesn't succeed and they have that obscene, as you say, amount of of advantage. Right. I remember doing that in one of our very first games. Came up with some epic, you know, thing of yeah, the guy had high you know, he had cover, he was high, he was on a catwalk. I know exactly I missed, what I, I know like exactly what you're talking about. I remember I, that. That was the first yeah, time you but, and but I, I ever played I together. blew up the catwalk instead and the guy came down. Yeah. <laughs> he came down all right. <laughs> yeah, so I mean that was that was just one of those you know cool moments. It's an epic cool moment. Let the player come up with it. And it, it's it's so many players inadvertently get shackled by the table. Now, and it becomes a, it becomes this, a crutch. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Yeah. We've talked about, you know, adjudicating stuff for people, asking, offering, helping stuff like that. What's your take on someone who who is in this situation? They've got two triumphs. They've got five advantage and a triumph or whatnot, and they just have no clue what to do. Well, What's your advice on that? Well, okay. I mean, ask for help if you need it. I mean, and dude, your party will love it. It's like, oh my god, guys, what should I do with this? And I mean, ask for the help, first of all. And then if you're another player watching this happen, I mean, uh, you can be like, I mean, and I, I do this as a GM, too. I'll be like, oh, wow, especially if the guy can't think of it. I'm like, hey, can I, can, I, can I offer a suggestion? 
and yep. f- phrase it that way. Be like, can I offer a suggestion? Because I've had players be like, no, no, I, I got this. I just need to think about it. I mean, literally, they're just, just like, no, I know, I know what I want to do. Just let me think for a minute to phrase it properly. And I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Right. And, but, but I've almost got the opposite. I've almost got a, a lot of my groups. Uh, they've got like, guys, I'm open to suggestions. Yes. Yes. But a lot of times when you say, like, do you want a suggestion? People are like, yeah, I'll, I'll take a suggestion. And then you, you listen to it. You're like, uh, that's cool, but, uh, I don't, I don't want to, you know, I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, ask, ask for permission on both sides. I mean, right. I don't know. I, I just, I, I think, I think this is this is a thinking this way. We've gotten to the point now. This system is three and a half years old. All right, yeah. and I mean, if you count from the beta, and we're we're starting to reach a critical mass where players are starting to have ingrained behaviors, um, that are not necessarily positive. And I think one of those ingrained behaviors is an over reliance for many players on the suggested use table for advantage and triumph. Actually, it's four years old. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Beta? Edge of the Empire? Actually, oh, God. No, yeah, you're right. You're right. Four years. Four years. Four years. Yeah, it's it was four, four years this four Gen years. Con. Four years this Gen Con. Yeah, for the beta. You're right. So, I mean. I, Has it really uh, been that long? It, I know. Has it really been that long? I, oh, oh. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean so, uh, it, it, that's, that's it. Not. Okay, so uh, we have don't adjudicate another player's dice, <laughs> don't hog obligation or duty screen time, yeah. uh, focus on helping other players, narrate your own results, throw away the suggested advantage triumph result list, and I guess related to that, Dave, do you want to hit us up with our next one? If you're going to throw away your your list of... Uh, advantage and triumph and all that jazz, then you might as well go ahead and throw away your skill list, too. <laughs> Yay, more hyperbole! Uh, more hyperbole, that's right. I function in the world of hyperbole. Um, <laughs> You're a walking hyperbole. <laughs> I am. I'm, I'm not as hyperbolic as, say, Ryan Lochte. However, I will expound on this by saying that great players never look to their skill ranks first. Uh-huh. They think about narration. They think about character action and what they want to do first. So when faced with a narrative skill challenge or other problem outside of the, um, you know, outside of attacking somebody, what are players going to do? They're all too frequently going to say, "Well, I'm not going to do that," or "I, I won't. I can't even consider that," because they're looking at their school skill list and they say, "Well, it's one yellow and one green. Why the hell would I do that?" I don't want to take a snub fighter out. I don't have any ranks in pilot. Can I range, make a ranged heavy check to intimidate him? My coercion is crap. <laughs> so I've heard that. <laughs> um, get this in the in the in the middle of a firefight. I'd like to lecture the stormtrooper on their poor life choices. <laughs> okay. So, narrate first, then decide on what skill matters. So, I don't know about you guys, but we've we've all been there. And the player is like getting wrapped up. Hey, don't worry about what your skill says. What would your character do? Dude, every... You know, don't metagame. Game. Don't metagame right here in front of me. 
every what other would game. your character do right now? And great players won't pour over their skill list. They're going to focus on the scene. They're going to uh, learn characters' role-playing proclivities, motivation, etc., etc., and decide how would they react. You know, I mean, personally speaking, had I had I metagamed, you know, my Wookiee Jedi would never have made the choices that he made. But because I was playing the guy a certain way, that's why he went that way. Mm. You know, would your character shoot the guy in the head? Well, he would, but that's the character. Would you instead try to scare him into crapping himself? Maybe. Would you get into a fighter and try to save your friends? Would you try and shut down the force field? The answer to these questions for good players have nothing to do with your ranks in pilot, coercion, range light, computers, pilot space, nothing. Yeah. They are, what is your character going to do? They decide based on the scene and your PC's frame of mind. Only then do you turn to your GM and say, all right, here's my skill. What here's what I want to do. And you work out the dice pool and the GM pushes the dice forward and you've got that contract. Yeah. You don't have to do it, but you know, I and I dude, you you laid the problem out crystal clear for me. Every other session I, I and I play, I end up with a player who's like, All right, it's your turn, what are you gonna do? Um and they're staring at their skill list. And I'm like I'm like like and you guys know I love to do like skill challenges and narrative challenges, you know, um in my games where it's not necessarily combat. Sure. Um, like, like my, my montage scenes and things like that. And where, where it's, you know, you gotta, you gotta make a skill check to assist with the action. You know, what, what do you want to do? And players look at their sheet and be like, um, oh man, well, I don't think I'm good at anything that could help in this situation. I'm like, don't look, like, don't, don't stop. Don't look at your skill list. Look at me. I don't care what you're good at. What would your character do to help in the situation? I mean, like, I, I don't know about you guys, but, even if a player like sucks at a skill, I mean, I I firmly believe in flexibility and skill checks and difficulties. Like, I think a good GM will adjust your difficulty down for a really great narrative suggestion, even if you're not good at it. Or more commonly, I'll throw a boost die or two your way if it's a really good narrative suggestion to help you out if you're really not good at it. You know what I mean? Okay, sure. so here's here's sort of a counter to that and maybe something to to, to help figure this out. Yeah. I've got a couple situations with where a PC has been very forthcoming, very, I don't want to say, spot, see, Spotlight Hog isn't the right kind of mind frame I want to put here. Uh, they like voicing their opinion. They like trying to further along the narrative. They like doing what they can. They try to do a lot of social arguments um, and convincings and stuff like that. But their character isn't built for it. And I've actually had other players come to me afterwards and say, can can you do something? Because I really feel like this person is taking away from this other character's focus who is the who is built more like a face character. Or who's trying to do things that really fit more into this third character's wheelhouse. What do you do about those situations where the person is trying to do it all but they don't have the skill set for it? Okay, okay. Gets back to that whole okay. you are not your character, your character is not you. You, yeah, okay, okay. So first of all, one keep in mind this piece of advice is more intended for those times when you have a player that flat out refuses to attempt something because they're not good at it. Like they won't even consider uh-huh. attempting it. All right? Like you're next to the computer terminal, even though you're a fighter, you're next to the computer terminal. 
you could shut down all the droids on the detention level, okay? But you're not even going to attempt it because of the fact that you don't have any ranks in computers, okay? Th- th- I think that's more what this piece of advice is about. But the the sort of dark side to that, the flip side of that coin that you bring up, is another good one where you have a player that is trying to do things <laughs> that they're just not good at. <laughs> Too much! Um, and I think there's a sharp distinction between being afraid to try something you're not good at versus way too over eagerly trying to be the Superman of the group and do everything. Okay. Right. Um, in that regards, I mean, I think, I think, um, if a player brings, I mean, it's my opinion, if a player were to bring that up, like, like, Hey, um, uh, why don't you let him do that? I, I, I mean, if someone said that to me as a player, I'd get kind of pissed off. Sure. I think a lot of it's on the GM to maybe, I mean, and I've done this too, where there's sly comments. Cause you always have that, like Dave said, what, what did you say? It was Dave, the alpha player. Is that what you said? Yeah. Uh, alpha okay, gamer. Okay, you, so you got the alpha gamer in the group who you typically is the one doing this, right? And they're like, well, I'm going to tell him this and that and this and that. And before, before he even gets rolling as a GM, I'll be like, you know, okay, well, well, that's definitely going to be a, a serious coercion check. You know, you do have a really powerful face character in the party. <laughs> Okay, and I'll just leave it at that. A good player will be the player who is that face character and can stop that dude's rolling train and be like, hey, uh, I'm really good at this. Why don't you let me try it? All right, because if you're a player saying you shouldn't do that, he should, you sound like a dick. But if you're the player saying, let me do that because I'm really good at it, 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 it comes off differently. Mm. Yeah. Here we go with that don't be a dick thing again. No. Mm. Yep, 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 yep. I mean, does that answer your question, Phil? It does. It does, and I think it, I think that's a great example. Um, so, I mean, yeah, yeah, but no, Dave, you you bring up you you bring up a, a really good point, and and this this is that that next big big tip, which is you know really throw away your skill list. I mean, and it all comes down. Are you guys noticing an overarching theme in some of these tips? Think about think about narration first. Think about yeah. story first before you think about mechanics. Um, Man, that's such a gear shift from a decade of of uh, tactical D twenty. It it really is. I mean, and this is this is the heart of of the struggle for a lot of people. Um, I mean, it's not like we didn't role play during uh, the D and D three five days or no, anything like that. No, no, of course we did. Um, it's just this system works best when you function as we're describing. <laughs> yeah. Um so I, I I'm yeah, that's kind of where I am. Now I guess next up on the list um is one that uh, this is this is really more of a sticking point for me. This this was one I threw on here and I because it bugs me a lot because I run a lot of one shots. <laughs> mm. Um, I run a lot of one shots, uh, and I think this is more of an issue for convention games or one shots, less so than campaign play. But this next thing, tip to be a good player is don't overthink or overplan. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think role players tend to get into the habit generally of trying to cover every single conceivable base. Okay. 
Um, but this means belaboring story time and game time to overplan and overthink just in case scenarios. I mean, Phil, you said it before, you know, when you're, especially when you're at a con game and you got that meant as a GM, you got that mental clock ticking. This is so frustrating. Yeah, it is. Um, the, the, and, and even in a campaign play, guys, that's not how this system is supposed to work because it's not cinematic to do this. Now, I'm not saying don't plan. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> okay. What, 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 what I'm. Freeform stream of consciousness, go! I mean, like, what, what I'm saying is, like, like yo, look, yo, when, when you're gaming with me in a one shot, and I am clearly trying to screen wipe the party to jump into hyperspace and jump out after stealing a ship and just arrive at their next planet of call. Don't stop me down in the middle of my narration and go, wait, 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 wait. Before we leave, um, I want to dig into the computer system and cover our tracks so they can't follow us. Or I want, I want to hide all the bodies we killed. Uh, so they can't follow us. Or, oh, oh, wait, before we go, before we go, um, I want to leave a virus in the enemy computer core that's going to destroy their entire network. Those right. those are all things that I have literally heard players say in games when I am simply trying to move the story along. <laughs> when it is clear that your GM is obviously not concerned about the quote-unquote risk you're trying to prevent and is trying to advance things along, doing this is jarring. It is jarring, it is unnecessary, and it is an absolute time sink. Especially because of the fact that we have mechanical resources to take care of anything you forgot to do. Right. Destiny points are there for a reason. <laughs> God bless my PCs. This is one thing that they are, they had no problem latching on to quick. I mean, if you, if you did forget something, a simple destiny point flip can easily let you retroactively, retroactively remember to have erased that computer log or hidden those bodies with a clever check. I mean, but I don't know. And, and, and I want, I want to get y'all's thoughts on this because too, I, I think, I think talking about what we talked about earlier with, with the general shift in player mentality, Star Wars to me, it, what makes Star Wars role playing so beloved by me is that it is a setting where it's about getting your characters into very hairy situations they didn't plan for. Okay. Oh yeah. It's not a dungeon crawl. You don't need a 10 foot pole to tap each square as you move. It, right. it, it's, it's good players are going to let complications happen because it's fun. It's very fitting for the Star Wars setting. And because the system provides you with the tools to deal with those complications easily. I, 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 IDK. Um, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> is, I mean, am I, am I, am I making a mountain out of a molehill, guys? Uh, is this just because of the fact that I do a whole lot of one shots? And I'm, I mean, what, what, is, is this, what, what do you guys think of this advice for, for players here? I think you're going to experience it more because you do a lot of one shots. And I certainly have that encountered that myself when I've run convention mods. Um, but that isn't to say that I've never encountered it during my campaigns. Um, you know, the, that, you're right. It is that whole overthinking, overplanning mentality. They want to plan for every single contingency. And not only is that unfun for usually half the group who isn't really concerned with that and honestly just wants to roll dice and play characters and play Star Wars, but it also just gets you to a point where you're trying to game the game. And with the theme of the system, the theme of the, the theme of the setting, 
Star Wars isn't supposed to be gamed. We've said it a couple times before. You're not winning Star Wars. <laughs> right. There is no winning. There is no winning the Star Wars role-playing game. There is only... You win encounters. You win battles. You, you, you win goals that you've set for your character. You don't win the setting because you've outwitted the GM and, and, and sent his, his, his own plans on ear. That's not winning. Dude, Scalden is in chat. He says this concept is the hardest for his players. He can't get them to stop gaming the system, figuring out how to make their characters invincible to certain things, etc. And he just wants them to play. Right. Uh, he might be also talking about a little something a little different as far as like you know um, how to get how to how how to make their characters invincible. That's also player tuning, you know, skill and talent tuning and equipment tuning. And I, I've got some of that. Um, I've, I've got players who have figured out, hey, if I jack my agility up to six and I'm able to move into close range with a flamethrower, I can kill any Sith on the planet in one round. Yeah. Until you roll a despair and the flamethrower explodes. Well, there is that. There is that. <laughs> it's Jay Little who turned me on to the concept of despairs because... It's like, or, 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 or you know, a uh, uh, red dice, because, challenge dice, because. It's like, you don't even need to spend a destiny point if it's really worth it. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, uh, it, it's one of those, okay, so you're, you're, you're attacking with a flamethrower in close quarters. Do you think something might go extraordinarily wrong with this? <laughs> it's, what could possibly go wrong? What could? Well, well, let's start at the top. Let's find out. Um, so, Dave, one of the reasons I love you so much as a player is you never do this. Mm. Ever, never, well, ever, ever. You know, you're all about you, like you. You start to get really freaking bored when it happens too. <laughs> Guys, we need to move this long. Dave's got that look in his eye. <laughs> Dave's about to haul off and kill one of the PC droids. Let's just. <laughs> it's like we we really really need to move this along. But honestly, I don't think anyone in our core group is a huge. Uh, uh, does this really but you never do this man you're all about moving that story along and let's get to some action and some play i mean well yeah and and i just think that that's it's it, well it's selfish because it's more fun for me but <laughs> you know and that's the thing like we said at the beginning play groups are different and some play groups love to plan out every single detail um i have um I'm not going to call him out. Um, I, I'm, I'm not going to call him out because I don't want to embarrass him. But uh, I have a very good friend and longtime uh, member of the D20 Radio Network. Um, I ran a uh, a module for um, not uh, in the springtime, um, and he was playing a character who had their duty triggered, and the the character was a very uh, virtuous paladin esque. Well, not no, not even that. More like like I would say lawful neutral to the core, right? And hit, uh, the character's duty triggered, and the character had to make, and the way I represented it in the module is the character had to make a very difficult moral decision to basically set the law aside and agree to give amnesty and asylum to a huge, nasty career criminal in order to get information they needed to solve a much bigger problem. And I, I was like, this is your choice. Are you going to do this or not? And he hummed and hawed about it for like a good minute. He's like, okay, so here's what I want to try and do. 
I want to, I want to like, have you, have you seen this episode of this television show where this one character like, like made the person think they were going to help them, but in reality, they didn't really promise to anything. And they, you know, they were able to arrest them at the end of the anyway. And he started going into this whole thing. And I had to like shut it down. I'm like, no, no, I understand. I know. I understand what you're trying to say. The answer is no. I'm not letting you get out of this difficult moral decision. You are, you're, <laughs> your character needs to make a moral decision. You need to, and you're going to suffer the consequences from that. That's the point. You're not, you're not going to be able to weasel out of this. And th- that's another thing that's, that's related to this and very endemic. The idea of, well, okay, it's trying to get the best of both worlds sometimes by over, over planning. You know what I mean? Overthinking. Right. Trying to get way too complicated for your own good. Is is that another way to say this? Players just trying to get way too complicated for their own good? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, this was my soapbox point. Do you guys have any other big points on it? No, I think we covered this one. What do you think, Dave? Yeah, I think we beat this one to death. I I certainly have. Um, <laughs> I think we really overthought it. <laughs> Speaking of douchebaggery. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> Alright, so uh don't adjudicate another man's dice. Don't hog obligation uh or duty screen time. Uh focus on helping other players. Narrate your own results. Throw away the suggested uh result list. Throw away your skill list. Um don't overthink or overplan. Next up. And don't commit destiny point douchebaggery. <laughs> DPD. <laughs> DPD. That, that almost sounds like an, uh, if you suffer from DPD. <laughs> chronic migraines. Diarrhea of the mouth. If your strain threshold is reduced by four for more than 17 hours, please contact your local physician. Um <laughs> You hold on to those white chips like your life depends on it. <laughs> this know. is also called chronic destiny point douchebaggery syndrome. <laughs> so talk to me about this, man. I know you've seen this. Talk to talk to me about it. What do you what do you mean? Destiny point douchebaggery. Dude, this happened mean? inadvertently at a convention. Um in fact I think we were sitting at Sam's table and um we somehow wound up with a pool of all white destiny points and we didn't use them. And I don't think it was on purpose, but we just never used them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, you know, but I mean, this is basically, you know, destiny points. You, you know, the you're, you're, it's your resource, right? Good players. Remember it's a party resource. It's their resource. It's a, but it's a balancing act to, be afraid of using them and then using them every single check. And, and I've seen it. I've seen it. Oh, hey, we've got a white one. I'm going to use it. Yeah, I got I got players that will use them every single freaking check. Or I've gamed with players that do that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know what pisses yeah, me off? I think we've all seen it. Yeah. We've all what seen pisses, it. And so what, what pisses are you going to off the most are those guys who anytime I spend a destiny point, they spend one right back. <laughs> Drives me bananas. It's like I'm trying to give you guys destiny points because you're going to need them. Take them. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I guess you could say a, a decent rule of thumb is is ask for permission, but don't be beaten down by it. Okay. Right. I mean, it's polite. Yeah. You ask your party before you spending one. You know, hey, what do you think? Should I spend this? 
and your, your party's going to say, okay, yeah, or whatever. I mean, you don't have to follow their advice, but asking at least is going to endear you to your players. And, uh, you know, of course, saying that, you want to spend destiny points eagerly. It's it's at its, you know, I think we've had the most fun is when the the light side and the dark side destiny points are always being flipped back and forth, back and forth, and, and it's a major re- resource for your characters and you and, I mean, use them. I I, ha- I have to agree. Like, And on the other side of the coin, if you have players that are afraid, if you have players in your group that are afraid to spend destiny points, because 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 especially with good polite players, because it's a party resource, they're like they they won't eagerly do it, and like they, it's like they need party approval because it's a party resource. And good players, when they see another player waffling on the decision, will be like, I've seen it too, and I'm sure you guys have, where it's like, dude, spend the destiny point. Like, should 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 I? Should I? <laughs> and then half the party's like, yes, you should freaking spend the destiny point. Yes, spend For it. Love of God, yes. For the love of God, yes, spend it, dude. Spend the destiny point on that. Why wouldn't you? Well, I think I'm going to succeed. Yeah, but you could get a triumph. <laughs> we need more triumphs. We need we need more triumphs. Um, or that enemy really needs a despair. <laughs> <laughs> right. Spend it and upgrade their difficulty. Make it go. Yeah. 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 Um. Dude, I am all about it. Uh, I am all about it, and you don't have to be the player being targeted to spend the destiny point. That's a that that's not in the that's not in the rules. <laughs> um, so uh, you know you you know you could just I mean let let the let I don't I, I don't know I I I agree. I mean, have you so Dave's example, Phil? Have you ever experienced the group sitting on an all light side pool? Because that's kind of the other part of it is. Just just sitting on a light side pool and refusing to spend it so your GM doesn't have any points. I've had situations where that's happened. I've actually had games where it started off that all the PCs had light side points, but inevitably they look at it. most of my groups have seen that and 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 it's like you know bonus day from work you know they they've got like an extra paycheck or something they they start spending light side points they're like oh, not only say on like piddly stuff but like eh what the hell we've got ten burn them you know um, there's also was there was also saying at my tables at the, the last gamer nation con where if we ended the game and the PCs had any light side points they did something wrong <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. they're like, okay, it's the last adventure, it's the last encounter, it's this, burn them, <laughs> burn them all, use them or lose them, and I physically, as a GM, could not spend them back fast enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, so fortunately, I haven't had that problem, but there, I, I do know that there have been a couple times where the party has sat on them, and it wasn't intentional. It wasn't intentional. I've heard horror stories of. Groups like, oh, I don't want my GM to be able to to negatively affect the role, so let's have them all go to white, and then and then he has nothing to spend. That is dickery. That's that's dickery. I mean, so I mean, when we say avoid destiny point douchebaggery. It's yeah, avoiding that kind of blatant dickery, but that's that's like overt malicious behavior on the part of the players. I, that's I think, game in the game. That's game in the game. I think I think a more a more common thing that good spirited and good intention players still occasionally fall victim to is being afraid to use destiny points um or overusing them regardless of the fact that they've only got a couple on the parties like we no no we need those you know what i mean um and like 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 dave like you said there's that balance that fine line you know what i mean um so yep yeah i'm 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 there with it i'm i'm there with it okay so destiny point douchebaggery avoid it 
Phil, uh, <laughs> I, I, yes. think I do, do you want, do you want to tackle this next to last tip? Because I'm someone who can be rather prone to it if I'm not careful. <laughs> oh, you're not the Rule only one. volunteering. <laughs> All right. This is probably one of the number one offenses <laughs> committed in any role-playing game. Interrupting another player or even the GM and telling them you're not doing that right. <laughs> um, we GMs tend to be the worst offenders to this when we're playing because we know the rules, generally speaking, better. We have to look at all kinds of weird and obscure things at the tables, and it kind of, because we had to do it once, it kind of gets burned into the cortex, and we can recall it at odd times when need be. It can be really hard to just shut your mouth. <laughs> just do it. Yeah. Just just let it be, especially if you're a GM, and especially, and, and, and this is a situation that I'm going to be, thankfully, having shortly. Um in that I've got one of my players who's, who's going to start running a game, and I'm going to finally get to play. Um, he has already mentioned to me, hey, man, um, it'll be good to have you at the table. I can ask you about some obscure thing, or if you happen to know it. But I'm going to tell you this right now. It's his game. He's running it how he runs it. I might note something down and ask him later and say, hey, when we did this thing, there was this one way that you interpreted this rule. In the book, it's like this. But you, you, and, and I'll actually be supportive of it too. It's like, you know, the way I thought the way you handled it was great, was awesome, absolutely fine. Um, it's okay if, and, and that's the thing, it's okay if the rule isn't being followed perfectly. Sometimes the GM just wants to throw out the rule. It's, it, the rule as written slows play down. Or it makes something harder, needlessly more difficult. Um, in the worst case, if a player or a GM is struggling with a rule, Ask them if they want advice. Or wait to be asked. Don't just volunteer the answer. Say, say, you know, do you, do you, do you need help with this? Do you, do you, um, you got this man? How do you want to handle this? Um, I know, you know, there, 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 there are, um, very, there, there are very, uh, supportive ways that you can offer to tell someone, hey, do you want to know what the rule is, or do you want to just do it yourself? Just try to find that way and try to roll with it. You can come across as a know-it-all and a rules lawyer, which is the downside to this, um, regardless of your best intentions. So you want to be careful with it. Um, I think the best way that you can handle it as a GM or as a player who, quote-unquote, really knows the rules, is just let it happen. Let the GM do what they want to do. And if the GM wants help or he starts looking in the book to try to figure out what the rule is and you happen to know it, say, you know, then you can say something there. Otherwise, just sort of sit back, let the game happen and, and let it flow. Simple as that. Um, over seven years ago, um, back in the days of Star Wars Saga Edition, the prior system from Wizards of the Coast. Sure. Um, after GMing, you know, that game well and, and, and Dave, we know those freaking rules inside and out, man. I mean, you 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 know how yeah. you know how hardcore we were with that. Um, and it's such a rules heavy system. Uh, I was I was a player in one of Brev's home games. It was a a Kotor campaign that he ran, and um, or you played your Ewok. I played my Ewok, and the first few sessions, I was so guilty of this. It was it was it was getting silly, 
And like I would be riding home in the car after the game, and my wife would just be tearing into me. <laughs> like, like, like you shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't have said you should have shut your. You should have shut your mouth. You shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't have said it, it wasn't more. And I made I made a very active effort through the rest of the campaign to just shut my mouth. And and it's like <laughs> it's like it's like, it's like uh, even if, even if I knew it's like no, it doesn't work that way. Uh, you know, just just shut your mouth and let it flow. And and it worked great. And the other thing too is when the GM knows or that other players know that you are also a GM or that you are a really rules knowledgeable player. Mm -hmm. If you don't volunteer rules all the time and you just shut your mouth, you will be surprised how often they turn to you instead of the book. And that's what started happening. It's like when there was a rule and Brett was like, uh, I mean, after three or four sessions of me just shutting my damn mouth, he would be like, hey, how does this work? <laughs> and I was like, uh, and I would, I would tell him. And, and, and that's, and that's, that's it. I mean, so I, I, don't, I yeah, that's my, yeah, yeah. I, I 100% agree. Don't volunteer rules. 100% agree. There you go. Okay. So our last piece of advice, Dave, I, buddy, <laughs> take it, take, take it, it, man, take it, own it, our own, our last piece of advice. What would oh yeah that one? <clears throat> yeah, just don't be a dick. <laughs> I've said it. I've said it a couple times already on the show, right? So um, don't do it. Just don't do it. I mean, that's we've preached it on this show. Way too long. I mean, ever since kind of Sam coined the phrase on our very show before he uttered it to Will Wheaton, who then made it a household word. By the way, we got it. That's ours. I'm taking it. I'm 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 claiming it. I mean, uh, what else do I say? I mean, most of the advice we just gave you guys can really be summed up to: don't be a dick. Don't think of your characters first. Think of other characters first, right? I mean, that's the yeah, Marilyn, what are you going to do? Um, <clears throat> don't take over the game. Don't tell the GM what his job is. Why are you role-playing with these people, you know? And <laughs> once you answer that question, then that'll tell you pretty much what the rest of it should be, right? Yeah. All right. So, yeah. What are, what are the biggest DBAD stories that you guys can share? I mean, serious, serious dicky player moves. I think I think a fitting end to this this little rant that we've given that hopefully has informed some players of some really good things maybe they've not thinked about thought about and maybe can inspire them to to improve some of their player behaviors. I know it has mine. Um, let, let's let's throw it out there with a with an impromptu W triple GB. Some when good games go bad. What is the worst player situation you've ever experienced? Wow. Um, I unfortunately have had that buried so far that I'm having trouble remembering. Well, um, if you get, if you, if you, if you got a ponder, I got one. Okay. Um, Gen Con. <laughs> uh, uh, Gen Con, uh, oh, what year was it? This was probably eight maybe nine years ago at Gen Con um, running a game, an official Wizards of the Coast game for Star Wars Saga edition um, in the Sagamore Ballroom. Uh, 
and had a player show up with like spreadsheets of rules typed out. Okay. Um, he showed up, lined all his dice up in a little row in front of him. And as the game was progressing, like somebody moved something and knocked one of his dice out of alignment. And he like berated the player for touching his dice with his piece of paper. Um, and then at one point he wanted to do something that was just stupid, um, invalid. And he proceeded to argue with me that it was covered in the rules that the rules allowed him to do it. And I said, I understand that, but it just doesn't make any sense in this situation. Um, and so I'm going to, you know, take some GM fiat on this and we're going to, we're going to, we're going to run it this way instead. And his literal response to me was, well, then I, I guess I'm just not going to play this game then. And I, I stared at him and the other players stared at him. I said, okay. And I just waved <laughs> like a goodbye wave. Yeah. And he stared at me like I was supposed to back down or something. And I just stared at him and I said, okay. And I continued on with the other players and kept going. And he got up, left, went and got one of the marshals and came back like near the table. And like they were talking. I didn't get interrupted at all, but I overheard the conversation. And the, mar the conversation was basically like, look, the GM makes his call. It is what it is. <laughs> nice. That's the worst player I've ever had. Um, yeah. And, and I say this without rancor because so many of us uh, fit this physical description, but just your classical neck beard, <laughs> you know, cat piss man, <laughs> uh, kind of, kind of guy. That was, that's, that's the worst experience I've, I've ever had. And I, 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 I don't imagine too many people are going to have that, but I don't know that that's the one that, that sticks with me. And whenever I feel like I'm being a bad player or I think about what not to do, I just think back to neck beard cat piss man. <laughs> and there you go. I mean, what what he violated about four things we just talked about here that are, are not even right. in the same system. So, right. Um, I think one of the hardest things that I've uh, that I've encountered is I think I mentioned it a little bit earlier. It's the players who do things outside their wheelhouse, who kind of take on all the roles themselves, and they don't let the other players have a word in edgewise. Mm. The, the 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 alpha gamers, um, it's and it's kind of hard to cope with. It it can be very difficult because you know on one hand I kind of want to move the plot line along, but on the other hand I can tell that there are other players who aren't having as good a time because someone is 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 assuming their role, and they're not very good at it. And then when I say okay, so here's the difficulty that you're going up against, it's like oh. Well, I'm not really built for this. Um, maybe someone else wants to do it. And in the back of my head, I'm screaming, then why did you do it in the first place? Where did you think this was going to end up? Uh, there you go. Um, but no, that is a pro that is, that is one of my concerns and fears. And thankfully, I haven't encountered that pretty much at all at Gamer Nation Con, but. I did Origins for a while, and uh, you know, back in the mid 2000s, and and a couple times at Gen Con when I went, I sat down at a table and I would, had that one PC who was like, who was very forbearing and and very instructive on telling folks how to play their characters and what to do. Oh, you should do this. You should use this ability. Oh, you should. Uh, oh, you you need to do this and this and, and that that and that way you'll you'll. Get boost benefits to to me doing my action, or to to the the sharpshooter doing his action, or 
and things like that. And I'm like, that's that's not fun, man. You're not letting them play their character. Let's just let them play their character. Yeah, as a GM, it's also incumbent on you to kind of shut that kind of crap down. I've had to, I've had situations like that where I've had to be like, hey, I've had to interrupt, be like, hey, let him play his character. You play your character, let him play his character. Right. So right. I don't know. I mean, Dave, worst player story. Uh, you know, the funny thing is, I haven't had that many, but my worst player story probably would be at Gen Con, of course. And just, it was it was one of these where you just never felt like the guy was happy. <laughs> and it, it was a con, you know, it was a con mod that uh, he, he just, he'd bitch and moan about just about every damn thing that you could possibly bitch or moan about. And... It, you know, it just, it got tiring after a while. And I, you know, I don't know. Some, some people are just going to be the way they're going to be. Right. But I never quite understood why you had to complain as often as you do. Right. And it's not like I could do anything about it as a player at the table. Couldn't you? Well, I mean, I guess I could have, but, but. You know, then it's, you know, I'm going to be a dick to the guy who was a dick, so. Right. Interesting. And this comes down to, and it's, it's a lot different at a convention where you don't know these people versus a home game where it's your friends, you know, um, or at least acquaintances. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I don't know, man. I think, I think a player can stand up for dickish behavior in other players. I mean... It doesn't have to be the GM saying, hey, you play your character and let him play his. You know, it, it can be another player saying, hey, man, let, let him let him play his character. All right. Um, you know, things things like that. Uh, you know, and the best you can do is just move on. But overall, guys, I hope this uh, rather uh, disjointed jaunt has given you a lot of things to think about. And again, don't adjudicate another man's dice. Don't hog obligation or duty screen time. Focus on helping other players first. Narrate your own results. Throw away the suggested advantage and triumph result list. Throw away your skill list. <laughs> Don't overthink or overplan. Don't commit destiny point douchebaggery. Don't rule volunteer. And D-B-A-D. Don't be a dick. Don't do it. Just don't do it. Just don't do it. Just don't do it. So um, really interesting discussion. It was a lot of fun coming up with some of these stories and notes as well, guys. So thank you all for the suggestion. Um, uh, uh, it was a very kind of an interesting break from our normal, uh, I guess, our normal method of thinking about what to communicate and talk about. <laughs> sure. At least it was for me. Um, so so uh, good suggestion, guys. And of course, head to uh, the D20 Radio um, uh, uh, Facebook group or or more actually more corporately, the Order 66 podcast page, um, where you can, of course, find um, we actually have survey monkeys uh, set up where you guys can vote on prospective show topics and show us what you'd like uh, to talk about. You can also, of course, head to the forums at d20radio.com slash forums, where you will actually find a sticky thread in the Order 66 podcast board uh, for show topics. And you can make suggestions there as well. Um, or email us show topics, uh, GM Chris, GM Dave, or GM Phil at d20radio.com. All right, guys. I think it's in time that we go somewhere we haven't been in a very, 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 very long time. 
Are you guys ready? Are you guys ready for this? Let's, Let's do get it. ready for this. Let's do it. Let him take that back, huh? Neil's find what you need. Welcome back to Watto's Black Market, where the skeezy scoundrels of the Outer Rim Territories can procure the weapons and the gear to make a living on the edge of that bare empire. Just a little more tolerable. And uh, tonight's trip to Watto's is is brought to us, if I'm not mistaken, by Strongholds of Resistance source book and and an email. Yes, yes, yes. Who 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 emailed us and what 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 what, what does he say? Uh, we got an email from Jesse Greer, who wrote. Uh, so since Strongholds of Resistance came out, our rebel group of assassins has been loving the cool gear and attachments in it, but no one is talking about the PTP link. I love the idea of non-detectable communication, but my party doesn't seem interested in using it, and our GM doesn't seem to care. Order 66, can you help me sell this awesome uh, uh, this awesome uh, piece of gear to my group? <laughs> okay, so Dave, you're the, uh, you're the AV file un- among the three of us. <laughs> Um, did you even register the fact that there were CB radios in, uh, Strongholds of Resistance? No. <laughs> um, cause I mean, really, that's kind of what it is, isn't it? More or less? I, yeah, pretty much, I guess. Yeah. Um, I mean, so, okay. Uh, uh, Breaker Breaker 19, um, Jesse, uh, we can certainly help you with that. Um, frankly, I'm amazed his group of rebel assassins didn't buy into this concept right away. But I mean, that could be because his GM isn't ever daring enough to attack their communications. But we'll we'll come to that. Um, so, David, what can you tell us about the PTP link itself? Well, let's just say I don't know. It's it's older. <laughs> Can we say that? It, it is. It is. It's uh yeah. So it, it it okay. So it's a uh, page eleven of the stronghold of resistance. Um, page eleven. Page one eleven. One eleven. Did I say eleven? I meant one eleven. Okay, one eleven. So you can. Uh, this is a multi-channel communication device. Transmits audio up to twenty-five kilometers. Comes in a variety of styles, and so you can accessorize. It, but it's it's um it's old. I mean it's old. Let's just say that it's old. Uh, back in the time of the Republic. Uh, but it you know now it's relegated to backwater worlds and the galaxy at large considers it obsolete using more advanced and longer range communication methods. Have I mentioned yet that it's old? It is old. Um, this means, however. Most modern comm devices, such as the kind uh, that be used by the Empire, can't even pick up PTP transmissions. And for only 100 credits for a link, the question is, why doesn't everybody have one? (laughs) 
The rules also say that if a thousand credit encryptor is attached to it, the transmissions are almost completely undetectable. Mm. Mm. All right, so here's the problem. Have I mentioned that it's old? Yes. A couple times. A couple times. That means it's rare, Jesse. Yeah. Encumbrance of two is, you know, no fun, but, you know, Comlink's one. Yeah. You know, I mean, the CB radios, I mean, they're they're boat anchors. I mean, they're heavy. Here's the deal, though. Seven rarity compared to the zero for a handheld standard Comlink. Which you know, is just swinging out to Verizon, pick, uh, the Verizon store, picking up one of these. <laughs> that's right. See, you—that's exactly right. That—that that is exactly right. Whereas you can get an iPhone, you can also go back in time and get one of those suitcase phones from Motorola, <laughs> because that's what this is. They're 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 not easy to find unless you break into a museum. Yeah. yeah. So, how do you get your players interested in the tech? Well, it's easy, man. Attack their communications. I mean, duh. I mean, it's an obvious GM trick. I'm, you know, I mean, that's just from a GM perspective. It's, it may be a little bit cheesy, but still, I'll tell you. If GM does it once, the PCs won't forget it. When their big plan is foiled because the bad guys were listening, guess what? They'll become interested in undetectable communications. So there you go. So I, I, I think this is a really flavorful thing. I mean, yeah, it's four times the cost of a comlink and double the weight or triple the weight, I guess, of, and really hard to find. But, yep. okay, so aside from the undetectable, you know, communication bit, which, I mean, like, like you said, with the encryptor, it's like the rules say it's pretty much completely undetectable. But even if you're just using it as it is, nobody ever thinks, n- nobody has anything that can pick it up typically, right? Um, yeah. You know. But I mean, Phil, are there any anything creative that could be done with this aside from just having, you know, your 25 kilometer CB communication that nobody but you would know to listen into so you have safety and security? Remote detonators. Oh. Explosive detonators can be jammed. They can, they absolutely uh. can be jammed. They can be jammed. But if they're not thinking of this technology and you want to need a remote detonator and you need to go off when you want it to, you just hook it up to one of these suckers and key it in that way. It can work out to 25 kilometers. For a group of rebel assassins and saboteurs, 100 credits gets you a remote detonator that bombs can't be jammed by standard comm jammers, which are designed to work with more common tech. And they can't be detected by standard communication sweeps. The only, about the only thing that I could think of that might be even able to pick this up is if you're actually dealing with an, an, a dedicated listening post. Yeah. Cause that, that type of facility is listening to everything. Yeah. But otherwise, no, nothing. Yeah, this is, this is true. This is true. Um, I love it. I love it. An explosive detonator that can't be jammed or detected. That's brilliant. And one thing I do like is also it says that the history of the PTP link tells us that um, due to its extreme use in the past, that PTP transmission boosters and relays were installed in a number of core worlds and are all over low-tech worlds. And they're still there. <laughs> You've got a network of data transition node, transmission nodes that is possibly planet-wide, which isn't being monitored by anyone. <laughs> you it, just imagine Coruscant. Yeah. 
Coruscant will have these things everywhere in every level. Like every They're 20- not being monitored. Yeah. Yeah. They're being monitored by crackpots and conspiracy theorists and likely the Rebel Alliance. Yeah. There's a lot of possibilities for that. I mean, dude, uh, it, it, you you have this network of nodes. I mean, you that are just sitting there unused by any official channel. I mean, how hard would it be to commandeer the network or rig it up with scanners or motion sensors, and and you know you have instant data transmission uh, that no one else is monitoring in a huge network you didn't have to pay for. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, um. I also like the idea of the fact that these these um, uh, these relays are that if they're, if they're all over a planet, um, what the fact that they're there and nobody thinks about them because they're so old gives any rebel group operating a set of prearranged meeting points uh, for regroupings. Like there you go, you know, if the job goes bad, we'll split up and meet at Alpha Charlie two two four five seven eight six three, and even if that particular communication is intercepted. No one's going to know what the hell that means, most likely. But nope. it's it's you know Alpha Charlie two two four and blah 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 is is the location code uh, or the serial number for a PTP transmission booster that's somewhere on Coruscant. Right. And if you know where that network node is, okay, now we know where to go. But you know, right. <clears throat> I mean, that's dude, yeah. Um, GM options for this thing. Um, I, you know, I think you could use the PTP link in much the same way your party does. Um, it's a superb way to ensure your PCs simply can't hack into your bad guys transmissions. Right. Um, uh, it's a plot device too. I mean, you could, you could use this as a plot device. Like the bad guys are communicating somehow, but the party can't figure it out. Right. They're they're scanning all the comm channels and the bands. They're 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 slicing into the city's comm network, and they're not able to find any communication. So how the hell are these guys communicating? I mean, it, yeah. I definitely wouldn't use this option for your run of the mill bad guys or even imperial facilities. If the Empire is using it, it should be this special black ops elite team that kind of operates like PCs would, or a smuggler group, a mercenary band, something like that. Something where it's reasonable for them to be aware of this tech and aware have well, and have a serious thought about how to exploit it. A group of criminals is committing daring, daring movie style, Ocean's Eleven style heists. All right, all across Coruscant, and seem to always be one step ahead of the police. Uh, you know, and they, they, so they have this advanced communication network, and we know it, and no one can catch them. But nobody seems to be able to find the communication network, right? Right. Um. I freaking love that. I love it. What what did we say? The, the range is twenty five kilometers, right? Yeah, on a standard, yep. uh, just 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 from like one point to point link to another link. So you know, one CB radio to another CB radio is twenty five kilometers. That's assuming though you're not on a planet with any um uh, any boosters. of the transmission boosters or relays. So I mean, because you got like like a planet like Coruscant back when PTP was the me- was the method of transmission. You got to figure you're going to have one of these relays every ten kilometers or so, planet wide. Oh yeah, and yeah, and so that would be like a you could have a network of pirates, you know, or something similar. Absolutely, just about anything, and down in the lower levels of seediness. Thirteen, thirteen. <laughs> uh, interesting. I, I I'll be quite frank. Until I got this email, I hadn't even noticed this piece of tech. So. <laughs> 
it's it's just kind of interesting. I'm with you, man. I'm with you. Never uh, dawned on me, but now that I see it, I'm like, ooh. Very, very use this. Very interesting. So good suggestion, Jesse. Thank you. And if you guys have suggestions for uh, <laughs> Watto's Black Market, you can of course email us GM Chris, GM Dave, or GM Phil at d20radio.com. You'll also find a stickied Watto's Black Market thread on the Order sixty six podcast boards at d20radio.com slash forums. Uh, all right, boys. Do you want to get to some questions? Let's do it. Let's do it. He doesn't seem to take a hint, this guy. I was beginning to wonder if you'd got my message. Messages from the Edge. Boy, am I glad to hear your voice. I think it would be wise if you took advantage of my knowledge in this instance. And uh, welcome to uh, uh, one uh, of our regular show segments, Messages from the Edge. This is our regular show segment where we take the time to answer your game and rules questions about the system. And how, Dave, can people get us these questions, I ask? Well, you can get it to us at the forums. Head over to d20radio.com slash forums, register, go to the Order 66 podcast boards, and you will find messages from the thread. You can also email your question to us at Jim Dave, Jim Chris, Jim Phil at d20radio.com. Or if you're brave enough, you can leave us a question at the D20 Radio Hotline, 262-D20-RADIO, 262-320-7234. And in the increasing numbers, we are getting questions at the Order 66 Facebook page. Yes. So you can always go there as well. Most definitely. Most definitely. Um, so what's our first question tonight? All right, question number one. Sent in by the mole, the underscore M01E, who's blasting us with some questions. He says this. Pardon this if it has been answered previously, but I'm about to lob a frag grenade of questions regarding the blast quality. First, do active and passive qualities like pierce and knockdown pertain to target hit by a blast. Second, how do you resolve damage to minions hit with a blast? Example, a frag grenade is lobbed into a minion stormtrooper group of four and the blast quality is activated. The group is the target, so it takes eight damage, not including success or soak from the hit. Does the activated blast six do A, six damage for hitting the group, which is then soaked once for the group? 24 damage for hitting four minions, which is then soaked once for the group. Thirdly, does the main target's damage stack with the damage from the blast, or is it separate in regards to soaked? Do they take 14 damage soaked, or 8 damage soaked, and then 6 damage soaked? <gasps> Thanks for the input. That was a blast of questions. It was a blast. Holy moly. I'm feeling concussed. <laughs> they are feeling concussed. And holy moly. Thank you, Mole. Um, so, dude, okay, some of these questions have been covered before, yes, um, by Sam Stewart on this very show, but they were buried and it was a while ago. And the fact that you are asking this means that it is a good question or set of questions that needs revisiting. Um, and still, I see tons of GMs getting this wrong. Um, yep. So, per Sam and the Raw, yes, the blast quality does carry other passive attributes with it like Pierce, okay, just straight up. But active qualities are carried 
but they have to be active uh, activated as you can imagine separately for each target um including each minion in a group so you ha- you have to you have to pay for each target to be affected by the blast so in your example if you activated a blast on a weapon with knockdown you would need to roll two extra advantage to activate knockdown on a single target that's affected by blast but you could indeed spend six extra advantage um uh, you know, to uh, uh, that you rolled to knock down three of your blasted foes. Does that does that make sense? Um, I hope so. Um, so as for the minion questions, um, uh, you know, damage to minions hit with a blast. Each minion does take the blast damage individually. This this might seem at odds with the fact that minions take other damage, like the primary weapon damage from the grenade. For if, if, if in your example. Um, or anything else a- as a group, um, and they they apply soak as a as a single entity. But this is an odd situation, um, and working it this way really does benefit the player. Let's say your stormtrooper group of four uh, with a soak of three is hit by blast six. If it applies to the whole group as one entity, then the whole group would take three damage. Um, but applying it to each minion means that each of them take three damage. So each one gets the three soak, and then that blast six applies to each one. That's a total of 12 damage to the entire minion group's wound threshold. A group of minions typically won't survive that. <laughs> and and this makes sense. It's a grenade. It's designed to right. take out groups of minions. <laughs> um... Lastly, does the main target's damage stack with blast damage? That was his last question. In other words, does their soak apply once or twice? Um, actually, Mole, it doesn't work that way at all. If you if you dig closely into the blast quality rules, uh, page 155, Edge of the Empire Core rulebook, a main target will never suffer primary damage and blast damage ever. The, the quality description is rather clear. Uh, that the blast damage only applies to targets engaged with the original target. So on a hit, the original target takes the weapon damage, and then if blast is triggered, those engaged with him or her then take the blast damage, but not the original target. Now, if the attack misses, then yeah, you can spend three advantage to trigger blast anyway, and that blast damage does apply to the original target um, and everyone engaged with them. Um, but obviously not the weapon damage because the attack missed. So, I think one of the biggest points of confusion is that how minion groups work in the sense of their pooled uh, hit points. Um, some folks are still under the mindset that they're like four individual creatures that are just acting in concert and supporting each other, when the rules for minions are pretty clear in that your your wound threshold is equal to the sum of all of their individual wound thresholds. So if you've got six stormtroopers, sorry, if you've got four stormtroopers with six uh, wounds each, you have basically one stormtrooper minion group with 24, uh, with, with 24 wounds. Yeah. And as every six wounds hits, another person is kicked out of the, uh, another uh, minion is, is lost to the group. Exactly. So. Grenades can be absolutely lethal to minion groups because it's it, it kind of bridges that gap between, okay, it's technically one entity, but it's also made up of individuals, and so the blast is hit. You're, you're basically doing blast damage to 
the surviving number of groups, the surviving number of figures. Right. So if you have blast six and four figures, that's that's twenty four damage <laughs> to the minion group. Right. Right. So, good question. Thank you, Mole. Um, we have one other question tonight, and it's actually a call-in question uh, from our very own GM Hooli, who probably just wanted to ensure that we mentioned him this episode. Right on. Um, so, he mailed, emailed this audio question, and um, it's a, a little long, but not too bad. Um, it's about three minutes, and I'm going to play it right now. G'day Order 66's, GM Hooli here with yet another long-winded Force-related question. Now, last evening, during our session, one of my force-wielding PCs asked to use the Terrify talent in conjunction with the Force Power Influencer's second control upgrade. The Terrify talent allows the PC to take a Terrify action and make a hard coercion check, adding their Force die as part of the check. Each success causes the target to be disorientated until the end of the next round. The character may spend two advantages to increase the duration and can spend force pips to immobilize one target uh, per pip. The control upgrade of influence reads that when making a coercion check, the PC may make an influence power check as part of the dice pool. The PC may then f spend force pips to add successes and or advantages to the coercion check. Now, you can probably see where I'm going with this question, um, but uh, the PC, um, his take was that you would get double the number of force die, um, and there was some talk of multiple skill checks. Uh, now, the wording of both the talent and the ability were less than helpful uh, in the discussion, uh, and I'm always of the belief that you should have one role per action, uh, rather than splitting it into suddenly two different actions. So the question I have is, how many force die roll? How do these two abilities work together? Now, at the time, my suggestion was that the Terrify talent um, does actually answer the question with the wording of no greater than the character's force rating. Now, I ruled that you would only be rolling uncommitted force die, uh, up to the character's force rating as part of the pool. And if they wanted to get the abilities for both talents, uh, sorry, both the talent and the power, that they would need to spend a destiny point and perhaps gain some additional conflict for corrupting the force to their own selfish ends. Now, after a bit of research, uh, I think that you could actually do it without flipping a destiny point and uh, have the number of pips as a kind of resource to spend how you see fit on whichever abilities you deem appropriate. Uh, now, discussion has since raged on the Order 66 uh, Facebook page uh, about this topic, uh, so I would be keen for your interpretations uh, of this rule and how they do work together. Anyway, thanks for answering my question, and as normal, I'm a rebel, and I always listen to the Order 66 podcast. <laughs> wow, there's a lot going on there. Um, so Phil, you, you responded pretty heavily to, uh, the question as it was also posed on the Facebook page. Do you want to dig into this one, man? Sure, sure. Um, cause there, you're right. There are a lot of kind of components going on in all this. Um, let's start with Terrify, one of the handful of auto conflict talents and the only one from the core rulebook, 
Uh, page 153 of Force and Destiny states that you may take the Terrify action to make a hard coercion check and roll your Force die no greater than your Force rating as part of the check. If you succeed, one target per net success within medium range is disoriented until the end of the next round. You can spend two advantage to increase the disorient duration of all affected targets by one round, and you can spend one force point to immobilize one affected target. Mm -hmm. Now, Influence in the Force and Destiny book on page 294 has a control upgrade to enhance your, uh, your arguments and charisma via, via the force. So it, it states, when you make a coercion, charm, deception, leadership, or negotiation check, you may roll an influence power check as part of the pool. You may spend force points to gain successes or advantages per force point rolled on the check. Right. So looking earlier in the force chapter, there's really nothing that specifically calls out and clarifies this situation, but there are some things that can be inferred. When you use Terrify, you are making a coercion check and rolling your force rating along with it. With that influence upgrade we talked about, you can make an influence power check along with any coercion check. Now, since you're already rolling your force rating in force dice, you're not going to be adding force dice to the roll for your terrify action and then more force dice because you're making an influence power check. You're not adding force dice, you're just adding options for what you can spend those force pips generated on. This is still a great combo. Maybe you're dealing with a bunch of opponents and you want to debuff a lot of them, but you don't really need to immobilize them. You can spend your force points rolled on successes, affecting more targets. If you're dealing with one opponent that you really want to slow down and debuff, you might spend some force points on advantages to increase the duration of the disorient and one on immobilizing the target thanks to Terrify's force point option. So you're not adding or locating dice to say, okay, this die that I'm rolling is for influence and this one's for terrify. You're simply increasing the options for what you can spend generated force points on, which does make this a great combo to have. Now, there is one final component that I need to bring up and draw attention to. It's influence has a very special sidebar in relation to how force points are spent using it. The sidebar on page 295 of Force and Destiny states that light side pips used to generate force points create positive emotions like peace, tranquility, and friendliness, mm. but may not be used to generate negative emotions. This means that if you're going to use force points to generate successes or advantages per the influence control upgrade and use them with the terrified talent, a talent that is based on coercion and fear, you must and can only use force points that were generated from dark side pips. Points generated from light side pips can activate Terrify's immobilization effect, but not influences extra successes or advantages effect in this instance. That makes sense. That's a very complex situation. <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, but actually, there, there's a couple other situations where... Um, where it came up, like uh, my my brother brought up to uh, he was actually looking at uh, uh, advancing his character, trying to figure out what path he wanted to take, and I saw two other talents that kind of work in the same way. One of them is Hawkbat Swoop, favorite one, mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. you make a lightsaber attack. You make a lightsaber attack action, and you can spend and you roll your force points, you roll your force dice, your force rating and force dice along with it, and you can spend pips that you generate on. Um, uh, one to close the target to engage range if you're a short range, and then you can spend 
other pips on uh, scoring extra advantages against the target. There's a talent in, I believe, Pathfinder that just came out with uh, Savage Spirits that I believe is called uh, Quick Movement, where you can roll your force points in addition to, uh, you can roll your force dice in addition to whatever action you take. And after you complete your action, you can spend force tips to move away from the target. Or, or, or to, to, take a, uh, to take a move action. Right, right. Um, so if you, uh, you, if you had both of these talents, you could use them to, at, from short range, leap into a target, attack it, hit it, and then use other force pips that you've generated, not on advantage, but to then activate quick movement and move away. But you're not rolling, if you have two force rating, you're not rolling two because of, um, of hawk bat swoop, and then you're not rolling another two because of quick movement. You're not adding dice, you're just adding options. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So once they're committed, they're committed. I mean, yeah. Well, it, it, not, it's not even a section of committed. It's it's just a matter of, well, you, okay, you're making a check, and it says, roll your force rating and force dice. If you have another ability that says, roll your force rating and force dice, and you're already rolling your force rating and force dice, yeah, you're yeah. not... You you're not doubling. You don't. You don't get to roll them twice. <laughs> right. You just get. You just get a bigger list of what you could spend those pips on. Right. 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 Okay. Good question. Good question, guys. Good question. Very good question. Excellent. 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 Whew. Well, guys, it is time to bring an end to the show. Uh, we want you guys to become a member of the Gamer Nation. Um, head over to d20radio.com. You can visit the forums, register, post your mind. Give us a call at 262-D20-RADIO. That's 262-320-7234. And uh, tell us uh, why you never listen to the Order 66 podcast. We'd love to get your liners or questions that you might have. Um, you can also, as Dave said earlier, email us, uh, GM Chris, GM Dave, or GM Phil at d20radio.com. So we are scheduled, gentlemen, to be back on the airwaves Sunday, September 4th. Um, and I, I, we, are, we are still on for that. However, our show topic for next time, I think, is a little in flux because, if I'm not mistaken, we're trying to uh, throw together a show for the Soldier book that was just released, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yes, that'll be uh, soon after. Soon after. Okay, so. I, did, I know you were following up on that. I didn't know if it was going to be the September 4th show or not. Okay. No, I don't think so. I think we were going to wait a, at least a month before um, for the book to be out. It's still getting out to it's still getting out to uh, to stores. Okay, thank you, thank you for that update, Phil. Um, sure. So that is huge. Um, so uh, then, next episode, we still had a few other key things on the docket that we were going to discuss. Um, we really wanted to get to this topic because it was a really unusual one, but some of the other heavy player suggestions we've had. Um, have had us really revisiting to a large extent the force, mm. uh, particularly how force powers are appropriately used in an encounter, possibly with some examples. Um, and that's something we're, we're currently taking a look at. But honestly, we want to know what you guys want us to talk about. So again, head to the forums at d20radio.com slash forums, head to the Order 66 podcast Facebook page and vote. Let us know what you want us to talk about. Thank you all for tuning in. This is GM Chris wishing you peace, love, and good gaming. Keep them dice rolling. May the dice be with you.
This podcast and related website are not endorsed by Lucasfilm Limited, the Walt Disney Corporation, 20th Century Fox, or Fantasy Flight Games. It is intended for educational and informational purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names, pictures, or references to any Star Wars vehicles, characters, or other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks of Lucasfilm Limited, Fantasy Flight Games, or their respective trademark or copyright holders. All original content of this podcast, including any audio, visual, or textual information, is the intellectual property of the Order 66 Podcast and the Gamer Nation LLC. Thank you.